Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best fully functional GPS when you're out of service. Offline maps allow you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First light. Go farther, stay longer. Ready, Phil? We're good. You got it on? It's on. Well, how you going to know when it actually started? We'll figure that Make out. Make sure to introduce everybody. I kind of like those false I'm starts. I'm sick of my dad telling me about oh my God. how... Tell your dad how to read. <laughs> he doesn't... Come on, who does that? Not while they're listening. People like want to know who's on the read show. The podcast description. Yeah. All right. That's what I'll tell them. Steve's answer to you is read the podcast <laughs> description. Like everybody, you can, learn how, you can learn how to spell it and everything. <laughs> All right, everybody. Joined today by comedian and commentator Trey Crowder. Yeah. You might, you might know him as uh, you might know him as the liberal redneck or uh, Chattanooga Phil. Charlie. Chattanooga Charlie. Chattanooga <laughs> Charlie. Mars, yeah. We're going to get to that in a minute. Yeah. Also, also by our uh, beautiful and lovely engineer, Phil. Corinne's here. Giannis is here. Okay, Chattanooga Charlie. You were, you were, t- you were fixing to talk about Chattanooga Charlie. Yeah, you asked if I'd been in any TV shows. And I said I played this guy Chattanooga Charlie and Veronica Mars. And I was like, you know, quite a stretch, obviously. Really had to show my range. But yeah. The way like I was explaining like, hey, I, know, it, I know a guy from Tennessee that could do this. Right, yeah. And uh, another, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But you said, so like what kind of character was it? And so John Mulaney, this great comic, had this old bit making fun of law and order. And he's like, I love how they always go to interview some bartender. And this guy like refuses to stop stacking boxes to discuss the horrific murder that has occurred. <laughs> right? Because he's and so like, surly. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and I said, I was 
one of those guys. Like I, it was, it's set in like Southern California, but it's a Southern themed restaurant owned by Chattanooga Charlie. And there's been a series of bombings. And so like I'm sweeping up peanuts while talking about these terrorist attacks or whatever. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. It was a lot of fun though. Oh, but I was going to say after, and I normally don't read comments like this cause you know, uh, I'll get fired up or whatever. But when those episodes came out, I saw a lot of people on the internet being like, I thought this episode was pretty good, but like that Chattanooga Charlie guy, I don't know what that accent was supposed to be, but that's not, <laughs> that is not Tennessee. I hope he realizes that. I'm, uh, good luck to him in the future. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was terrible. But people think that my accent's fake all the time, like all the time, you know? Well, I can imagine living in LA and. Oh, I mean, out yeah. there for sure, but out there, like, yeah. People will compliment me on it. They'll be like, oh, I love that accent. I mean, if it's real, like if that's your real accent. I don't know if it's because like. Because <laughs> I think you're a method actor. I, I, that's exactly yes. what I was, Yeah, we're in Hollywood. Maybe they're like, oh, maybe he's prepping for a role as a possum detective. Or something. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But, uh, but I'm talking about on the internet and stuff, you know, people just don't. I don't know. They don't buy it. But this is all Clay County, Tennessee right here. This is just what it is. Uh when you when you tour when you tour for for stand up you tour as the liberal redneck no I just tour as Trey Crowder oh god so yeah, you're, but wanna... your commentary like you have your commentary bits is what, how I became familiar with you yeah and that's true for most people and uh-huh. like uh, but I didn't want to be like you know I purely identified as a character or whatever like because Got I was it. doing stand up for six years in Knoxville and around the South before I ever put those videos out and I was oh, always I just. You. Trey Crowder on stage, so I kept doing that. So when you started doing your commentary videos, you kind of launched that not character, yeah. but that, I mean, that. I mean it is, it's a character in that it's like me cranked up a little bit or whatever, but I had a I had been doing a bit about that on stage at the time like basically just talking about how everybody thinks my accent means a certain thing mm-hmm. because that's the only thing they ever see this accent portrayed as in the media or whatever, so I wanted to balance the scales by being just as crazy and redneck in public, but saying a bunch of super liberal <laughs> stuff just to throw people off or whatever. And uh, I was doing it on stage. It worked. It worked in like Southern clubs and everything. Like it was working. And I told my friends, I think I want to do a like a internet video series based on that idea. And everybody was like, I, you totally should do that. That sounds yeah. like a great idea. And then uh, finally I got around to it. And then, yeah, that's the thing that like blew up and sort of allowed me to go full time and everything and is what most people know me for. But have you have you seen the curb your enthusiasm where Larry, you know, he doesn't like to ever have to talk to anybody. So he gets uh he lives in LA and he doesn't like to talk to anybody. So one day he gets himself in a make America great again hat. Yeah. <laughs> like no matter where he goes, no one says anything to him. <laughs> yeah, why so he can sit in a restaurant, no one sits by him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that, he finally gets to live his dream of having zero social interaction. It definitely would be uh, would be useful out there, but but the only every time I see somebody in one of those hats in L.A., they're usually like doing the talking for everybody else. Like oh. they're in a gas station up by the clerk, just like going in on you know inflation he's, or he's, gas he's prices or whatever. He's yeah. There right. <laughs> Uh, the, oh. But the, I just want to clarify, the commentary that we're speaking of is the stuff that's on Instagram. And I put them on all the social media okay. sites, YouTube, TikTok, Yeah, it's like new, Facebook, it's like new yeah. Twitter. Tell people what it is, first off. News commentary. Yeah. Current so event commentary. Current event. I'll take like something that just happened and then I'll do a little like 
comedic rant about it. And I always do try to like actually put jokes into it. So it's not oh, just yeah. like soapboxing or whatever. Cause like I, you know, I'm a comedian. I want them to be funny. And I have, this is my real accent and I'm a progressive. So like, I mean, there you go. You know, but like people at first, like people are like, there's a lot of people in the South that, you know, who are also like me, who when they see it, their reaction is like, oh, finally, somebody who like both sounds and thinks the way I do, right? And then the people in like the rest of the country, like on the coast and stuff, they're like, well, this is neat. I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> you know, they're like, you're like, you're like seeing a unicorn, you know, like it's uh, a novelty. You know, what I was trying to, today when I was driving around, driving my kid to school, I was telling about who's coming on the show. Then I got to talk about, I had to explain the terms, right? I was like, you know, this guy is like the liberal redneck. And I said, I was trying to think of what's the opposite of a liberal, a liberal redneck. And the best that I come up with is, remember William F. Buckley? <laughs> it's like, uh, like the very austere British conservative guy. Oh, I mean, there's right. like, a, that's the opposite of a liberal redneck would be William yeah. F. Buckley Jr. You know, that was the best yeah, I could come up with. Conservative did they, barista. Did they... <laughs> <laughs> That, that might be a little bit more <laughs> better, better understood <laughs> by your kids. <laughs> I, I'll try it. When I get home for dinner night, I'll try it. Uh, speaking of my kids, kind of, man, we were in, um, we were in the, so we went down to, to Baja for spring break and we're coming home. And like I see this thing, this, I see like a, like a, there's a guy standing there and there's something like just so distracting where he's like a fit, thin dude, but he's got one of those, he's got like, you know when you get like a like a big beer gut uh-huh. that just hangs real flat down over your belt? Yeah, like a flap, you mean? Yeah, like and I realized it was a fanny pack that- made to look like a big, hairy... <laughs> <laughs> Recently, uh, it's, it's a like fanny a belly pack gut. made to look like a big hairy gut <laughs> hanging out of your t-shirt. Classic, dude. I kept being like, "What is that?" Do we need to get that you does, I was like, "It doesn't match his skin." <laughs> they call that a dumb lap, don't they? Oh, I don't know. Like your belly dumb lapped over your belt. Oh, Ooh, I like God. that. Yeah. But man, we um, yeah, we had a great time. We did a lot of spear fishing down in Baja, and then I had some um. Like, if you look at the fishing regulations in Mexico, which is always confusing, um, they got, so you don't need any license to fish from the beach, okay? So any saltwater fishing from the beach, no license. There's a license for fishing from the boat. But I actually got checked in Mexico by, like, the, the Baja version of a game warden and got a warning because he said, you need a fishing license, it's very hard to get through this conversation because I don't speak shit for Spanish and he knew like some English. So he was trying to help me out. It's like, you need a fishing license. I mean, no, cause I'm fishing from the shore. But then there's a third category that I think they added it in recently is, so there's fishing from the shore, there's fishing from a boat and then there's fishing underwater. Oh, so you're spear fishing, you mean? Underwater? Right. For underwater from the shore, you need a license. Huh. I got off on a warning. Oh. Did you recognize you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, okay, people got to write in. Here we need to do. So we need, what should, how, how, where are they supposed to send these? Uh, to meateater at themeateater.com. Oh, so the normal spot? Yeah, we'll do normal spot. 
and but they should title it Chetiquette. Okay. So we know what to look for. Yeah. We have we have a call for submissions. We're doing a show all about etiquette, which we like to call Chetiquette, because we use our etiquette guy, Chester, to help us wade through etiquette problems. And we get all kinds of etiquette things anyways. Mm-hmm. Like um, recently the guys that play leapfrog with their tree stands on the same tree on state land where they always move their climber above the other guy's climber and all that etiquette questions or like um you know you take your there's a guy that takes his brother-in-law hunting at a spot but then his brother-in-law his sister and his brother-in-law get divorced right and the brother-in-law keeps going to the spot and he feels like, how could that be? Because they got divorced, so you can't go to the spot anymore. Shit like that. Etiquette questions. Chetiquette questions. You got to send us a shitload of Chetiquette questions. Um, how did Chester become the etiquette guy? I don't know. I don't know how that happened. I think I think largely because etiquette sounds, because Chetiquette is funny. Yeah. That's usually how things both. go around this office. <laughs> like, there was no real reason other than we were talking about etiquette one day and someone made the joke about Chetiquette. And he's like, a, he's a very ethical... Kind. Person, yeah. Oh, like, you know how yeah. it was too, is we were we were talking about boat launch etiquette. Right. That yes. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of questions about boat launch etiquette. And Chester, having been a fishing guide, had a lot of opinions about how to how one should get their boat in the water in prompt fashion when at a crowded boat launch. And so someone made the Chetiquette joke. So it's not like he's particularly credentialed necessarily. It's just that Chetiquette sounds funny and Giannis Etiquette. Not as funny. funny. Yannikit? Yeah. Yannikit? No, it sounds like another disease. (laughs) (laughs) Bad case of Yannikit. Oh, also, it's late. We got to throw a birthday wish to Carter Hudson, who just turned 11 the other day. On St. Patty's Day. Whenever someone on this podcast swears... He, the, his, uh, Carter's dad has to explain to his wife why it's okay that he listens to a show that has cussing in it. Loves the show. You didn't didn't quite read that right. He says that everything that you do, the kid also does. So the kid's like, well, if Steve's cussing on his show, I can cuss too. And his dad has to explain that that's okay. Oh, well. There's value But we've really, really cleaned, um... It up, <laughs> I think big time. It's like become more and the more. The guy family. that edits the show is laughing. Well, it's just I. I also edit Bear Grease, and there's some very different uh, censorship <laughs> rules around the show. Bear Grease. If he's got a guest that says, "I don't know what the hell I was hearing," it'll be like, "I didn't know what the beep I was hearing." Yeah. <laughs> what Sam beep? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so happy birthday to. To Carter Hudson. Thanks to his dad Morgan for writing in. Um, another thing, speaking of kids. So this is so we've been talking a bunch about the book we've been working on, which isn't out yet, but we have a new uh kids activity book. Catch a crayfish, count the stars, available for pre-order now. Now we announced this book on Amazon. There's a, if you scroll way beep down on Amazon. It's a ranking of all books being sold on Amazon at any given time. When we announced that, that Catch a Crayfish, Count the Stars was up for pre-orders, I'm holding my hand right now. I'm holding a facsimile of it in my hand right now. Fun Project Skills and Adventures for Outdoor Kids. 
Shout out to number three. Really? Yeah, that whiny bastard, uh, the King's kid. He was still <laughs> talk about talk about chopping down the apple tree. What's he got left? Do you know what I mean? Like what? Like if you're playing like a long media game, what's left? Yeah, he already blew through the Netflix documentary and all the book tours like, and everything. He yeah. did it all. He's like, it's so bad. I don't have to work. I live in this big palace. First world. My palace. mom, like many people's mothers, died. And and then and I and I hate all that. It's like, what he? What's he gonna do now? I know he was like for a while. He was like a mental health expert, I guess. Goodness gracious! So he was still beating us. Well, it's a good thing he put all of his money in that Silicon Valley <laughs> bank, so he'll he'll be just fine. <laughs> he did. Yeah, yeah there we go. Just making it. So like catch that. crayfish, count stars. So it's a uh, here's the deal. It, it's a uh, if you if you're raising outdoor kids, and you want your kids to feel. Um, to have a lot of projects in front of them that that, that, that that will foster a sense of understanding for the outdoors, a sense of comfort in the outdoors, um, knowledge about the outdoors. It's a, it's a great book. A lot of it's kind of dangerous. We had to put, a, if you read it, there's a lot of language like, no, this is very dangerous. This is very dangerous. Because there's machetes and stuff and fires and hatchets and everything in there. So there's certain things that you got to do, projects that you, your kid would need supervision on. There's certain things they can do on their own. But it's everything ranging from like gardening stuff with under, understanding how gardening works and plants work, all kinds of foraging stuff, fishing stuff. If they're interested in hunting for their own food, how to get them up to speed on that, building their own sorts of uh, weapons like blow guns and frog gigs from natural materials, basics on navigation, navigation with the sun, navigation with stars, all laid out in, in achievable little day projects, even a bunch of stuff about in the home. So things that you can do on bad days inside your house when you can't get outside that would really educate kids about ecology, biology, um, even even some like basic principles of wildlife population dynamics. I helped write the piece about how to build a PVC bow. There you go. That's easy, cheap, and lots of fun. Oh, and it Hours works. and hours of fun. My kid killed a cottontail rabbit with one of those PVC bows. My uh, nephew did as well. Yeah. Um, show you how, it'll show you how to do that. It's, it's, it's a super cool book. I listened to this. I heard a friend of mine in Wisconsin, his two boys, who are probably, I don't know, 9 and 12, 9 and 13, their project, as soon as they get that book that they're going to work on all summer, is they're going to launch their own YouTube channel and make a video about ev- doing every single activity in your book. Someone's going to get sued. <laughs> I might sue these kids ahead of time. I think that's a great, great idea. Oh, I just saw someone sent me an article yesterday. There's a there's a class action lawsuit a guy is doing against Buffalo Wild Wings. Did you hear this? No. Oh, yeah. There's a class action lawsuit against Buffalo Wild Wings because their boneless chicken wings aren't wings. Right. For the love of God. To which Buffalo Wild Wings says, our buffalo wings aren't buffalo. <laughs> our hamburgers aren't ham. <laughs> also, is, are anybody's boneless wings wings? I don't think they are. No, they're all no. They're just, he, that's what everybody. This guy was like, I was. Yeah. This guy's like, I was led to believe I was eating a boneless wing, and it's not. Yeah, he's gonna. <laughs> I, I think I read somewhere he's gonna be disappointing when he finds out chickens don't have fingers either. <laughs> it's funny to think he genuinely didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't catch the. I didn't catch the finger one because they had like that. 
Buffalo <laughs> wings are zero percent buffalo. The hamburgers aren't oh, ham. Boy, they had yeah. some other examples. Fingers aren't They're, finger yet. <laughs> There's no sticks and fish. That's another one. <laughs> Good lord. So back to the book. It's it ships in June. If you order now, um, you'll get it in June. But you can order it now, and hopefully enough for you order it. Where uh, Harry there? Yeah. Gets um. Does it line up that he would have got his name because of Harry Potter? Or does, was he born too early for that? No, he's too old before old that. Hmm. Thank goodness. Order now. <laughs> catch, catch crayfish, count stars, fun project skills and adventures for outdoor kids. Order now and you'll get it later. And there's a landing page. I can't remember what. Crink, you put it in the show notes? Yeah. There's a landing page you can go to and read all about the book. So if you have any kids in your life, nephews, Kids, grandkids, neighbor kids, local kids that seem like they're going to head for a life of trouble and crime. Uh, get them this book, get them turned around. And it'll give your kids a raw edge to them. You know, it'll give them a, a tough little, make them tough little shits. Uh, the colonel put the landing page thing in there. And I, I don't know if it's still open, but for a while you could go in and like sign up and get an early copy. So everybody do that. Oh. Speaking of, this is kind of like speaking to kids. Trey, you got two kids? Mm-hmm, two boys. Okay. I was talking one day about how I didn't like it that when you went to the doctor, a first person comes. Yeah. And they want to weigh you or whatever. And then they go, what's going on? And you tell them some long story. Right. Like you got two kids. I had it recently too because I'm like, well, this one had right. this strep symptom and then that went away, but then this one broke out in these little spots all over him. And then that one got that again. And then this one did that. And that led to both of them to have this. And now that one's fine, but this one's even sicker. Right? And then the doctor comes in and they go, what's going on? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then if, it, <laughs> if it's some kind of specialist thing, like if you end up having to have a referral... You'll just have to go to two other people and tell both of them what's going on as well. It's just an endless stream of explaining what's going on. I know. And various waiting rooms, bigger and smaller yep. waiting areas. Yeah, as it gets smaller, you get more hopeful. Yeah, maybe they'll be here in a second. <laughs> right. So someone wrote in about what that's all about. One thing it's all about, and I know this to be true because I've seen it before. One thing it's about is you might tell them a thing and they got to go study up on it on Google. Yeah, right. So if you, like if you go in and say like yeah man I got trichinosis from eating raw bear meat, they're gonna go be like he's got a what, mm-hmm. and they're gonna go study up on Google. So when they come in and you tell them they can act like they knew what was going on. Another problem they run into is a, 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 a what's this person do? They're a physician assistant, so they wrote in about what's actually happening when all this goes on. Another thing that's going on is people change their stories all the time. The patients. Yep. She said the physician's assistant will come in and there's like they're like, well, so what's going on? He'll be like, oh, this happened to my kid and that happened to my kid and now here he is. And then the doctor will come in and he'll spin a different yarn. Like the parent didn't like how it sounded coming out. Oh, oh. And so they'll read, they'll like edit the story. <laughs> but when I went in, I just said, it's really complicated. Can I, I'll just explain it to the main man, the main doctor. In my case, it was a female. But I said, I'll explain it to them. And they're like, okay, cool. So I had no idea you could do that. But what they're doing is there's a thing called locates. Did you know about this, anyone? I had no idea. Mm -hmm. They're asking you, 
there's like a little an acronym of stuff they're asking you. Location, onset, character, alleviate, aggravate, timing, environment, severity comes out to locates. They're after the locates. But as I pointed out as a piece of medical, unsolicited medical advice is just say, I'll just tell the, someone later. Or you can like make a recording and just play the <laughs> recording over and over to everyone. No, that'd be great. They, then they come and go like, as I was saying to your colleague, <laughs> hold on, let me pull it up my voice memo and play. This is what I said. This is the problem, right? You can listen to as many times as you want. Um, this is You could have even little Google links at the bottom if you wanted. Yeah, so like, I saved you the hassle. <laughs> Here's the Put Google notes link. in your yeah. explanation. Because I know you're going to be going digging into WebMD in a minute. <laughs> um, when I was a boy, when I was a little boy, they would have this thing every year where they would take a... Um, they would take one king salmon and put a tag in it. And turn it loose in Lake Michigan. And then it'd have a big fishing derby. And if you were to be so lucky as to catch the king salmon that had the tag in it, you win Boku money. I've never heard this applied to mammals. However, in South Dakota, harvest a tag coyote, get a free hunt, lifetime hunting license. Correction, South Carolina. Oh. Well, you saved us a lot of time on the next episode. <laughs> South Carolina Department of Natural Resources released 16 more tagged coyotes statewide recently as part of the Coyote Harvest Incentive Program. Program was created in 2016. So they catch some coyotes, they tag them, they release them. Four per game zone. Four game zones, four coyotes. Anyone who successfully takes and reports a tag coyote will be rewarded with a free lifetime hunting, uh, free lifetime hunting license. They can debt. Here's where it's, here's where they sweeten the pot. Let's say you're getting up in years and it's not going to do you a whole hell of a lot of good. Right. Say you're like 49. Your star's fading. <laughs> you can, you can give it to your kid. Gift it. Only yep. that special one? Or like the one you win? The one you win. You could give your, you could right. say, I would. Bes- I will bestow I, it upon right, my daughter. Yeah. I'd like to bestow this upon my daughter and make her a free lifetime hunting license. Did you read anything? Is it open to non-res? I haven't read that far yet. Over the last seven years, did you, did you see that in there? No, I don't. Over the last seven years, 112 coyotes have been tagged and released. Huh. So far, under half. So in seven years, under half, it's not terribly descriptive. I would have just have given the number. I would have given the number. So somewhere between zero and mm-hmm. 56. Yeah, maybe they're just embarrassed of the number. You know, know, know what? They're like, like somewhere no under half. Yeah, know. meaning Dude, somewhere between zero and 56. It's <laughs> under there somewhere. <laughs> so somewhere between zero and 56. Yeah, because if it said no one's gotten one yet, people aren't going to get fired up. Mm-mm. They're not going to feel like everyone around you is winning. Um, under half of the tag coyotes have been reported taken. Coyotes tagged in any year are eligible for the life, lifetime license. For information... On the Coyote Harvest Incentive Program, you can go to the DNR, the South Carolina's DNR page. 
What I imagine they're trying to get around is they're trying to get around the, you know, for a long time, there, there was just flat out uh, bounty programs. I think they're, they're striving for the bounty thing, but they're trying to gussy it oh, up, hmm. gussy it up in a more hmm. socially acceptable way. And it might be like a little unsavory to some folks if they were saying it's like cold, hard cash. Is my yeah. guess of what's happening there. Uh, a little bit south of there in Florida. Huge correction on Florida mountain lions. Chester should be here because it's his fault. Yeah, that's true. We were doing an episode, and I was throwing research questions to Chester on the fly, and he was messing them all up. The episode was called Spitting and Strutting. We are discussing mountain lions being relocated from Texas to Florida. Yanni was present. The gist of it was, I spent a couple weeks in Florida, and everywhere I went, I got a earful from people about cougar recovery and the debate around whether... Um, many people feel that cougar recovery has gotten too successful. There has been too much leaning into and making sacrifices on behalf of the species that is not regarded to be imperiled anymore. And not only that, and they're having a devastating impact on deer. Not only that, but people were saying how it's not even the same cougar that used to be here because they brought in super cougars from Texas. And I thought it was just seven or eight. <clears throat> Chester got to reading on some crazy website, the Mountain Lion Foundation website, um, which is not like Wild Turkey Foundation. You know, it's like a, not foundation. It's um, Apparently it Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Yeah. Um, Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. It's a, it's like a animal rights organization. Anyhow, Chester got to spewing off about all kinds of mountain lions brought down from Texas, which is not the case. They brought in a total of eight and then actually removed some, which really surprised me. Some of the mountain lions that they brought from Texas to Florida. So, at, at, well, at its lowest number, we got it right here. If you want a quick little more informed background on this issue, um, we covered this quite well. Panthers used to be distributed everywhere, like everywhere in the lower 48, across much of Canada, Central America, South America, from Tierra del Fuego to like you know, possibly up into Yukon territory, Mackenzie Delta, even maybe this animal is the most widely distributed mammal in the new world. I think globally, right? Most widely distributed animal, Western hemisphere. Let's go with that. As they got whittled away through poisoning and other predator control things, bounties, poisoning, um, you wound up where they were kind of existing in the wildest little corners. And the only population that held on in the east, east of the Mississippi, the only population that held on was this little isolated pocket of them in southwest Florida. So from 1986 to 1995, the minimum number of adult panthers, so this is adults, not male, not like all males, not all females, the, limited, the minimum number of adult panthers fluctuated from 24 to 32. I often use this as the greatest piece of evidence against Bigfoot. Go back to those years in, in South Florida when you had 20 to 30 mountain lions. They're still getting hit every year on the road. So few. You have a population of a couple dozen and they're still getting hit every year on the roads. Hmm. But Bigfoot... 
can go five hundred years. <laughs> How many of them exist, though? Well, there's got to we... be enough to make love and reproduce. They, they're not like there's no primate that lives forever. That's true. Also, maybe Bigfoot knows to look both ways. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, let me put it to you this way, <laughs> Mr. Smarty Pants. Maybe you know about the guy in Montana that put a Bigfoot suit on and jumped out in front of a car to incite a Bigfoot sighting and was struck and killed. <laughs> yeah, well, that was struck and killed by two cars. <laughs> Probably should have so thought that, through that a little better. If they're that good, yeah. why'd he get hit? Because <laughs> he's dumber than actual Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> From 1986 to 1995, the minimum number of adult Panthers fluctuated from 24 to 32. They brought in eight. They put some males in. This is interesting. They, they put some males in. Once they knew that those males had bred, they pulled a couple of the males back out. Another correction is, this is from the, this is from the, uh, the, the journal. This is from Science, correct? The journal Science? Mm-hmm. There is no evidence inbreeding is causing physical malformations and negatively affecting recovery. Oh, sorry. Take all that out, Phil. I was wrong. Maybe leave it in. I don't know. You decide. Forget what I was just saying. Florida Panthers, okay. Florida Panthers were suffering from the effects of inbreeding, including cryptochidism. Low sperm quality. That's what I have. Kink, no quality. Kink tails, pelage cowlicks, opportunistic infections, and atrial septal defects. So they brought in to save this couple dozen animals. They brought in animals from Texas. Eight, not 20 or whatever the hell Chester was throwing around. No, I think he, in total, it was like... Close to 40 that he added up over years. So. so now they got 200. Now they got a minimum of 250. And now it's starting to cause a lot of consternation among people who are feel sportsmen in Florida who are feel that they're having access issues, um, poor quality hunting because of the great deference to this now recovered um this now recovered species that they feel is somehow not quite the same because it was supplemented with genes from outside. Take your pick on that one. What do you think? That's good. That was okay for an apology. Mm-hmm. Not an apology, correction. No yeah. apologies. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money 
and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season... It was in the 70s and then even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick. It's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code meat eater at checkout that's 20 percent off your first order when you shop better hydration today using promo code meat eater at liquidiv.com another news bit i've been talking to these i, I met this dude so every year oh, i go to did? yeah okay. every year i go to i'm emceeing this year the TRCP Capital Conservation Awards Dinner, in which TRCP, they have an annual function in, in Washington, D.C., where they honor, uh, uh, typically they honor someone from the House, someone from the Senate, and someone from each side of the aisle. So Democrat and Republican, House, Senate, they honor them for conservation achievements. And then they'll usually honor someone from the private sector. I'm emceeing that event. I emceed it last year and met this dude who's working on this project. And I told my Help spread the word about his project. When Teddy Roosevelt was in D.C., he would walk down to the Grace Reformed Church in Washington, in Washington D.C. Um, he laid the cornerstone of the church. Okay, in 1903, that was the year that Auguste Escoffier published his. Magnum opus Legide Culinaire. 
And I believe it was the first year of controlled flight by the Wright brothers, if I'm not mistaken. Just check that out, Yanni. That year, he delivered an address at the dedication of the church. He, Teddy Roosevelt, kind of the one of, one of the one of the fathers of modern conservation, and a guy who put in, who preserved fifty thousand acres of American land for every day that he was in office in the presidency. Worshipped there faithfully on Sundays during his vice presidency and and presidency. If he had to skip a service, he would write a letter to the reverend of the church saying he would be absent. Anyhow, the church is up for sale. So what's going to happen is someone's going to turn it into condos. But these guys have got this thing, saveteddyschurch.com, and they're trying to get the jingle necessary. They need to raise $6 million bucks over the next two years so they can buy the building and resuscitate it and keep it as it is. www.saveteddyschurch.com So if that speaks to you in honor of um, one of our great wildlife conservation, land conservation heroes, um, go check that out. I don't know if I'm going to get into this. We were, da- we, were la- we were having quite a laugh about golf courses because there's this golf course that needs to like move because the squirrels are so mean. Do you hear about this? <laughs> yeah. The squirrels are so mean that it's like driving golfers off. Trey, do you golf? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I'm you do? not good. Yeah. Huh. I'm uh, real bad, but yeah, I golf a little bit. Huh. Lately, it's mostly... So I like... I started in Jackson County, Tennessee, which is nearby. There's a, go- a nine-hole golf course there. And like... Me and my buddies would would golf barefoot and then like cut off t shirts and stuff. Like and bring a cooler beer, yeah, redneck style golf. That's yeah. the that was my introduction to golf. As I got older and moved to cities, and I found out that golf is like a fancy people game, and they got a bunch of like rules that they really really care about. Mm-hmm. It kind of took a lot of the fun out of it for me. I didn't enjoy it as much anymore. So now I go to like Top Golf or something and just you know drink some beers and hit some or whatever. But yeah, I didn't like being you know repeatedly shushed or having to tuck a shirt yeah. in or whatever that type I've, of I've stuff. always been surprised that no professional golfer ever emerged who didn't have the same like what informs the fashion sensibility of professional golfers like with football you have no choice because you got to wear the uniform but when you see them off field it's a wide spectrum of right. dress styles right wide spectrum yeah Something about something with golf enforces like a very rigid, yeah, sense of how one presents themselves to the public. I guess so. Like I said, it's just fancy people stuff, you know. It's just, uh, it's just the culture of golf. Or else yeah. maybe it's also because like the stuff they wear to play it, you can also just you wear can just other wear it places. Out. You can so wear it out with like, your wife for yeah. Dinner. You can just yeah. walk no off change. the course and change still, your clacky shoes yeah, out. You can't do that with shoulder pads, you know. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. You look like yeah. Uh, so someone wrote in with a very spirited defense of golf courses at e- as ecological refuges. Great point. You I mean, can't. It, it's better than having condos there. So he's pointing out, and I'll tell you what else he's. Uh, he, you see, there's this picture. I guess it's a famous picture. There's a there's a ecologist standing next to these cut banks, and one is like a crop. Of uh, one is a 
annual. Okay. Picture that you're standing next to a cutaway of a, of a field where you've got a raw cutaway that's eight feet tall. Like you just slice the earth, pulled it away, and you got to look at a, help me out. What am I trying to say? A cutaway. A soil pit side view. There's a soil pit side view of perennial grass. And there's a side of the root structure of perennial gra- grass and a side view of an annual grass mm-hmm. or an annual crop. And holy cow. The like a long standing grass, a long standing grassland, eight feet it's of roots. It's amazing. It's so amazing to see this. What it like the it, it, he has a very spirited defense. And I'll point out, I don't like, you know, I get what he's saying, man. They got ponds. How, he counted up how many white oaks around their place. It's a really good point. I just read the whole damn thing. Should I? They're. They're going to move an entire golf course because of (laughs) mean squirrels. Squirrels are too mean. Them some mean squirrels. Because that's no small feet (laughs) right there. Or Or it's some some fancy golfers. golfers. Uh, Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Tired of these squirrels making noise in my backswing, chittering in my backswing. No, it's like they attack the golfers to get their snacks. Oh, right. That's aggressive. (laughs) I'll just read it. For instance, I work at a small private club near a large city with a heavy population of fox squirrels. He points out, <laughs> he points, I'm quoting him, but I'm, okay. He points out that, back to the quote, they aren't nearly as aggressive maybe as the ones down in Florida, but we do manage them every winter. Then he goes on to say, uh, uh, uh. Um, they've managed the squirrels, but their numbers continually bounce back with the copious amount of acorns provided by the 300 plus mature white oak trees. The property in general has a lot of wildlife for how small of a property it is and how it's completely surrounded by urban civilization. We have mink, coyotes, red fox, white-tailed deer, skunks, raccoons, all sorts of raptors, including bald eagles, waterfowl, and a whole mess of other rodents that are all over the place. Many golf courses become a part of the Audubon Society and are safe havens for many species of birds. Put that in your pipe, Smoke. Hmm. He goes on. And then Crin and him are not like email friends. <laughs> yeah, going so down the rabbit see you hole on the link, soil Steve? health is really Can interesting. I book a tea time well, for you? here's why I'm very yeah. delicate about I can't get, you know the secret of why I really need to tiptoe around the golf issue, don't you? I don't think so. Spencer? <laughs> well, it's like, I'll tell you later. Okay. Really? Oh, yeah. Hmm. You don't know? Mm-mm. Really? I don't think Do I know. I know? Oh, you know. Uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> is this the last thing we're going to talk about? <laughs> I told you we had too no, many things more. to talk about, and you can cut as I'm desired. doing it quick. No, no, no. Was- <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin is circulating a bill to designate an official state rifle. The Henry Arms all-weather 4570 lever action. They point out in the bill that this does not mean you have to buy one. (laughs) (laughs) Though it is strongly encouraged. (laughs) Yeah. You will not get in trouble for not buying one, though they are. I'd love to get, we got to have Doug. I want to hear what Bubbly Doug thinks about his state. Like in my view, I get it because they manufacture, it's great because they manufacture them there. Um, Big boy all weather rifle. Um, 
It's, it's, so it's a hometown manufacturer in Wisconsin. It's a great rifle. But if you said to me, like, what's the what's the state rifle of Wisconsin? Well, who used to make that 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 uh, slide action thirty out six? I think it'd be something like that, like an old like yeah, like the seven forty two Woodmaster. Yeah, like one of those like hardcore, you know, old deer guns that everybody had. You know, like a thir- like a something in thirty out six, right? That's what I was gonna say. I don't know anybody that's hunted or or killed a deer with the uh, Henry All Weather forty five seventy. But it's made the Rice Lake based Henry Repeating Arms. So they make and it's a nod toward the you know hometown gun manufacturer. So if you live in Wisconsin and you don't have one, you can expect a visit from law enforcement officials. Trey, did you That's like learn about all these different old guns in your riflery class or shoot them? No, no, it was mostly just like just target, target. practice. Yeah, pretty much. Just was like a twenty-two. We didn't. It wasn't like history of riflery mm. or anything. Although that would have been cool. I'm horrifically uh, underinformed. They join. They're joining nine other states who have state rifles. Oh, man, there's a whole other thing. Okay, we'll talk about the Kansas trail cam ban later. I told you I didn't want to add more stuff to and this And we'll talk podcast. about Burning Man. <laughs> um, now or later? How do you, do you go to Burning I, Man, Trey? No, but one of my best friends just did this past year. Oh. Made it sound pretty wild. That gives us license to get into this. It's quick. <clears throat> I wanna, I'm interested <laughs> in how you're uh, ranking the uh, remaining topics as to the ones that will, will that you're interested in talking just about right now. trying to fly right through them because I got a lot to say about Wisconsin's public or Kansas's public land trail All campaign. Right, we'll move that to tomorrow. I don't have a lot to say about Burning Man. Burning Man. Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And trash. Basically, when you go to Burning Man, it's a. Is he defending Burning Man? <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, I, he's I, just kind I, of explaining. He's ex- yeah, he's explaining how, how clean they make it. Exactly. Okay, he's explaining just how clean it is after Burning Man. He was a volunteer there for the volunteer fire department. He volunteered at the fire department during the Burning Man thing. They clean it so good. The festival has to undergo an extensive cleaning procedure where they clean the entire seven square miles of MOOPs. Moop. Matter matter out of place, which he said ranges from straw glow sticks to nipple pasties. Mm-hmm. All right. What's a nipple pasty? It's a pasty. Johnny. Picture that you had a little sticker you put over your nipple. That's, That's it. it. Whole thing. Decoration. No. You got it, yeah. Clothing. I'll get you some. It like it's like not the same as being fully You don't want to go you know, nude. nude. You got right. You don't want to have any clothes on either. Exactly. It's like one step there's body paint. <laughs> right. But that, you know That's, that's a whole hard. thing. That's yeah. hard. That's a yeah. that's a time investment. It doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. Then they do this. This is the this is where this gets interesting. Here, this is what the BLM make. Here's what the BLM does to to determine just how clean the site is. This is where this is get. This is where this gets downright scientific. Bureau of Land Management. They randomly select 120 inspection sites, with each site being a circle with a radius of 37.7 feet. Got it. I'm, I'm tracking. 120 times you take a circle, about 38 feet radius. Lay it down, and then you have to inspect that circle. But the home, it sounded so scientific until I got to this part. We're less than a palm full. <laughs> then it, devol- it devolves no, so out of science land. Real clean. It devolves out of science land and goes into less than a 
palm full <laughs> of debris, so less than a palm full of, of nipple pasties can be found within that circle. If you find more than a palm full, you got to reclaim. If you've ever uh, hunted or hiked, backpacked, camped in this location outside of Burning Man, uh, write in and tell us how clean it was. I'd like to know. Yeah, no, when I, when I first, so I'm from Tennessee and I went to Bonnaroo when I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. you know, big music festival. I went to like five of those in a row. And when I first found out about Burning Man, I was like, okay, so like what kind of bands are there or whatever? And there's like, oh, well, they're, there's not, there's no lineup or whatever. And from that point on, I was, was like, I was like, so what is the point of it then? And it's like an art festival. Like you people go there and make like art installations, do a bunch of drugs and get wild or whatever, and then burn a effigy at the end of it. And that's pretty much the whole thing. But like those festivals are a marathon. You're filthy, you're tired, you know, it's like gross. And if I'm not going to be able to watch like, Jay-Z and Bruce Springsteen, you know, back-to-back <laughs> nights, then, like, I got no interest in that. I and I wouldn't even do the former in, in my 30s, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. But in my 20s, I was all for it, but I never really got Burning Man, and I still don't. And now it's a bunch of, like, tech bros and stuff, I think, on top of that. Oh, is it? I think so. They've, like, overtaken it is what I heard. So now everybody goes to Burning Man talks about how it's not the same as it was. Absolutely. Just yeah. like with everything. Neither's Montana or Baja. Yeah. Bonnaroo, same way. Um... Where'd you grow up exactly? Clay County, Tennessee. It's, uh, you know, Tennessee's divided into East, Middle, and West Tennessee. It's on the northeast part, like northeast border of Middle Tennessee. So it's like halfway between Nashville and Knoxville and 40 miles up on the Kentucky line. What were the, what were the conditions like when you grew up there? When I was like a little kid, like up until I was like nine, it was a pretty idyllic and cozy little Southern town. I felt like, like a nice little town and like just using my, f- so there was this big textile factory, Oshkosh Bagosh, made overalls, oh, like kids yeah. overalls and stuff, yeah. Oshkosh Bagosh. They had a huge factory in Salina and that was like the beating heart of the town's economy. Everybody's, my great grandma worked there for 60 years you know, or whatever. Yeah. They, we, all the kids, like if you were a kid from Salina at that time, I pretty much guarantee you had like a photo shoot, like a toddler photo shoot that sure. was all Oshkosh Bagosh, right? Like, you know, sitting in a little wooden bucket with some overalls on and a little uh, the official pants, The official pants of, of Tennessee. Clay County. Right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> would, so, would you guys do the side buttons up? Uh, would you leave them, leave them flopping? It depends, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of both. Yeah. Switch it up. Depending on how high People it is. would do both. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, so that, and then... And my family in particular, like, was a bunch of small business owners. My grandpa had a car lot in a garage, right? We worked on cars and sold them and stuff. And my dad had the town's video store, Crowder's Video. Remember those? (laughs) Really? Yeah. He really really dug deep for that name. Did he have the little back corner with a curtain? Oh, yeah. Wasn't a curtain. It was a room. Yeah, it was a converted single-wide trailer in the back room I was forbade to enter. And that's where... You know, all the boxes were a little bit bigger in size and, you know, uh, like you yeah. know, somebody from the Baptist church, you know, couldn't go in there if there was anybody else in the store. Like that was the thing that would happen a lot. Like people that I, that back room kept the lights on in that grocery Is store that and, right? and that uh, video store. So I you guys think. had a double wide that was a video store. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Crowder's video. Crowder's video. And that market just dried up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. VHS but, but tapes. as you'll oh. see in a minute, as you'll see in a minute. Every my town, my, we didn't even get to that point. But anyway, uh, on, on the town square, my 
maternal grandmother had a little country diner called Cat's Cafe. And across the square, my openly gay uncle and his partner had a uh, deli called the New Day Deli, a sandwich place or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, all these businesses are doing, and the whole town is, or the whole downtown is populated by these little businesses and stuff, and everything's cool. Then in the mid 90s, uh, as I like to put it, the factory left forever and the pills showed up for good at the same time. God, the factory being Oshkosh. Oshkosh. They left. They went to Mexico, like literally that, that you know, they moved that operation to Mexico. Just packed it up and moved it. Yeah. And uh, was that was that like some of the was that some of the NAFTA? Absolutely. Yeah, some yeah. of the NAFTA. And that's got a huge that's a huge part of people there's politics. You know, actually that town is rural and every and like Rednecky or whatever it was, you can look it up. For a very long time, that county was like a blue county in Tennessee because mm-hmm. it was like old school dem- working man Democrats or whatever, that type of thing. Yep. Uh, but then NAFTA, the Clintons, factory leaves, town gets demolished and it changes a lot. But the, nothing ever came in to replace that factory really. You know, by the time I graduate high school, all my family's businesses are closed. You know, my mom is, is addicted to pills herself. Uh, you know, people are sick. Yeah, everything just falls apart, and like how that happened that, like, for the whole town. How did that feel? I, I want to back up to that that place leaving. What, like, how was that perceived by people? Did it feel like a betrayal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember. I, I mean, I, you know, again, I was like nine or ten, uh-huh. but I can remember my parents, my grandparents, like talking about it and stuff. I mean, I can. I have a vivid memory of my grandpa that owned the car lot coming into my dad's video store and slamming like a newspaper or something down on the counter and saying, I swear to God, I'll never vote for another Democrat as long as I live because of that. And like, Hmm. yeah, I mean, it was like a company town. You know what I mean? Like I said, everybody worked there and, or like had somebody in their family that worked there and like all the other businesses, like, you know, people that worked there bought lunch at these restaurants or whatever, that type of thing. It all, it all orbited around that plant and yeah i mean people knew i mean even as a kid like i i knew like everybody knew this is really bad (laughs) what's about to happen and there was some optimism like well we can replace it with something or whatever but i mean that you know that's 25 years ago going on 30 years ago and that you know there's like a couple minor operations have come in and left and whatever else but nothing has really ever replaced it so it's been there's been like double-digit level. I mean, I don't know right now, but I know for over a decade there was double-digit levels of unemployment. It was like, you know, one of the poorest counties in Tennessee for like years and years straight because of and all that. And that killed the video store. Yeah, exactly. So I said, like, right. Obviously, the video store wouldn't have made it long-term anyway, but we didn't know that, you know. We didn't see the future coming, but it didn't matter because that killed the video store, my uncle's deli. My, gra- the, my grandma's cafe is like, that's still a restaurant on the square, but like it got rough and she was old. And so that drove her out of it. And so, you know, pretty much just ended Man. everything. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough. So I understand why those people like in the, in that place, I get why, you know, they don't trust politicians, Democrats in particular. I mean, I get it. And I also get why that County went so heavily for Trump in 2016. Cause you know, he was telling them, he was speaking directly to that type of stuff and nobody else does because nobody cares about those people. And like even Republicans, Democrats, both, no one cares about those people. Poor, like rural people, like they just don't. I mean, I do because that's where I'm from. But like, 
you know, and so to have anybody even paying him any attention at all, I think was like attractive, you know, yep. in a desperation way. Part of the reason, I think we were talking about this earlier. When we were talking about getting you on, Yanni had found your stuff and turned me on to it. And uh, we had we had a laugh watching it. And what initiated that was, and it's not, I'm not the first person to make this observation by any stretch, but it was like, we're talking about uh, the last thing that'll be left that the whole country agrees it's totally mm-hmm. fine to ridicule an insult yeah. is poor white Southerners. 100%. I think you could argue. No one will ever be like, oh, don't you do that. I was making like jokes about that in stand up when I started 13 years ago. And it's still like, that's what Yanni pointed out. Because even then, it was already starting. And I would, I mean, I mean, who else is there right now? Do you know what I mean? Like you, like you said, oh, we'll get to that point eventually. But I mean, who else is over there? Yeah, right. Pretty right. Much. Like you can't name another group of people that it's okay to make fun of. No, but also like I'm as a comedian, I'm kind of totally okay with that as long as people will allow me as a you know formerly poor white southerner to also make fun of other types of white people then i'm good with that trade-off do you know what i mean oh, like the like french you want to be italians to... oh yeah whoever any kind of any kind of white person should be fair game uh i think yeah for me because you know we're gonna catch it too I, I used to like and i don't know what the real answer is but i used to jokingly say that i thought that was because all these other groups of people Gradually over the years, each stood up and were like, that's not okay. You shouldn't talk about us like that, right? But rednecks were never going to do that because that would imply that they, you know, give a damn what somebody else thinks. Yeah, it would put like right? Larry the Cable Guy and Jeff Foxworthy out of business. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's like the world tells them, it's like, hey, they're talking shit about you. Who is? Everybody. Well, tell everybody <laughs> to kiss my ass. <laughs> and then that's the end of it, you know? like. <laughs> but I find that Southerners have a huge chip on their shoulder about pretty much the whole rest of the country, like looking down on them earlier. Y'all were talking earlier off mics about somebody else you work with who... Clay. So, yeah, there's like the South and then there's like devil country or well, whatever. Well, Clay, I was, I've been dogging on our colleague Clay a lot because he's recently, he was pitching this idea that he wanted to do and he had an email where he pointed out that, he pointed out that in Southern culture, you know, music is very important. Yeah. And I said, have you been to a lot of areas in America where you found music to be unimportant. Right. Have you found it to be unimportant in the North? And then I sent, then I started looking up musicians per capita. And, um, I pointed out to him that the most musicians per capita are in Beverly Hills. Right. So I think it'd be fair to say that in global culture, music is very important. Well, yeah. And yeah. But he sees the, he sees like, he'll be like, I mean, I'm storytelling is very important in the South. (laughs) Well, look, I mean, a lot of, listen, Clay's not even here, but I'm about to go to bat for him. I think a lot of, I think a lot of the, like, of American music, uh, like, you know, has its roots originally in the South. And a lot of that. That's my buddy you know, pointed out. When I was dogging on Clay about this, he pointed out that, like, if you sort of do a music family tree. Right. You wind up with, like, like Southern blues winds up being like the trunk of the tree is what he's getting. Yeah, at. exactly. But I don't think that, I don't, I don't know if maybe Clay knows that. We'll have to get mine and talk to him about this. But no, they are, uh, yeah, they're uh, musical people. Like the the most redneck part of my uh, county is called Pea Ridge, right? And it's also the part where like what they're known for is like they all can just sing like angels. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, so grew up singing in On church. The whole they're, they're like, yeah, the whole <laughs> everybody out there. Something in the water. Just, yeah. Like, it's like, oh, they're red as hell, but 
got pipes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys mess around outside a lot when you were kids? Yeah, I'm kind of doing a bit about that right now. Like I, I've got I've got two sons who are ten and eleven, and I think about when I was that age. Like I would, me and my little sister is three years younger than me. Like we'd leave in the morning and just you know be gone. I mean, literally all day. You know what I mean? And like obviously no cell phones, no checking in or something. Just out like you know playing in the creek, trying to catch crawdaddies or whatever. You know, climbing into old storm drains, just kid <laughs> stuff. You know, but like. You know, climbing up the pile, the piles of scrap material behind the abandoned factory, you know, <laughs> fun stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, and then, but today I'm, you know, I'm not like I, wit, and I live in California, I live in Burbank, California, you know, which is very suburban, but it's still a city. But I'm just not like, you know, I'm mortified uh, at the prospect of that. Like, unless I had some way to like track them or whatever, I don't want them out there just running around all day. But that's what wild. we did. Yeah, yeah. we would. I mean, yeah, all day long in the summertime and stuff, it'd be just playing outside. And then uh, when I got older, like in high school and everything, I was never a big hunter, but me and my buddy, the only thing of note in Clay County, Tennessee, is uh, a man-made lake called Dale Hollow Lake, uh, which for a long time, not anymore, unfortunately, that that also left with the factory. We were the uh, we were the home of the world record smallmouth bass. They took right? that away too. They did. The world even took the bass away from us. Yeah, the bass record, world record smallmouth. Yeah, that it was on the sign coming in. Welcome to Salina, home of the world record smallmouth bass. But like part of the local lore was always, and I don't know the truth of it. But part of the local lore was always there's always these rumors and stuff that the the that it that it had been weighted down with like nuts and bolts and stuff. And but that was back when people were like, "No, yeah, that right. would never happen." Yeah, and so it was always like a yeah, it's like the town was divided amongst you know whether it was legit or not. But anyway, so like go, summertime <laughs> at the lake every day, like, like always it was stolen, at the lake. Ba- it was stolen valor. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, stolen bass valor. But <laughs> at the lake, Bro, all do you the know time, who beat it? Uh, no, I don't know off the top of my head. Hey everyone, Phil here with a quick note. Immediately after the show, Trey did some research and found out that Salina and Dale Hollow Lake still hold the record for the smallmouth bass. According to him, he, quote, assumed the universe had taken that from us as well. My bad. Thanks, Trey, and back to the show. Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah, please. It has to do with the South, kind of. Um, there's a song by Hank Williams Jr. and Waylon Jennings called The Conversation. Mm-hmm. And in it, they discuss Hank Williams Jr.'s mother, mm-hmm. Aubrey. And first off, trying to get Hank Williams Jr. to come on the podcast. So if you're out there listening, my man, please. Uh, anyways, Hank, like Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr.'s mom, Aubrey, got a divorce or not. And then he got remarried right before he died. This all happened really fast. He died young and unexpectedly. Once he died, once he died, there became a legal battle over who was able to call themselves Hank Williams' widow. Because he hadn't done the legal separation prior to getting remarried, and Mm -hmm. then he died right after he got remarried. So in the end... It was settled that uh, Aubrey, Hank Williams Jr.'s mother, became officially Hank Williams' widow. Right. And in a settlement, this other woman had to stop saying that. And, okay, <laughs> Aubrey was the 
first one or the second? First, sorry, his first wife was right. Aubrey. Who he had been separated from, but didn't get didn't legally divorced. He was divorced. supposed to do like 60 days. Yeah. May, like, I think like, he's supposed to be separated 60 days before he could be legally divorced. Well, it turns out he had only done 50 days of separation or something like that and then got married. Yeah. Then he dies. And so they're like, You're, that marriage, what, that's not actually his widow because he didn't legally right. get yeah. divorced. Yeah. So I get to be the widow. I'm pretty sure that my mama is still technically married uh, to my stepdad, despite the fact that they haven't been together in 20 something years. They like, just haven't done it. They just didn't do it. They just never did it. Never got around to that. Yeah. You know, well, it's a whole thing. You still keep in, tr- uh, you still keep in touch with your parents? Well, my dad passed away uh, 10 years ago, pancreatic cancer, uh, but he was, I mentioned earlier, my mom getting, you know, addicted to drugs and stuff when I was younger. So my dad most mostly raised us and my dad was great, super close to my dad, but he was not really an outdoorsman. He was more into like rock and roll and movies, David Lynch movies and stuff like that, you know, but, uh, but I it do sounds still like talk his video mom. store would be in a David Lynch movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he would have been so flattered to hear you say that or so thrilled to hear that someone interpreted it that way. He would love that. But uh but yeah, uh but my mom, you know, she's still kicking and we're like, you know, we're reconciled or whatever now. I wouldn't say we're super close, but we, you know, I do keep in touch. I see her at the holidays and stuff like that. Does she understand what you do? Yeah. She, I mean like does she, oh, does yeah. she like it? She does. She loves it. She loves like the attention and stuff. Like, and actually, she, I got to give her credit. Like, she is cool about all that. Like, I had one of my early jokes that I had was like talking about where I'm from and how redneck it is or whatever. And I, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, you know, I love football and I hate shirt sleeves and whatever, y'all, and all this shit. And at the end, I'd be like, and my mama, y'all, my mama cooks the best crystal meth you ever had in your life. <laughs> right. And like, uh, she heard me do that. And she sent me a text message that was like, she was like, honey, I did not cook meth, right, Space. I sold pills. It's different. (laughs) It's not the same thing. I was like, I know, mama, but I can't, you you know, it doesn't work with the cooked joke. Like, you got to cook. Talking about your home cooking, I can't use pills, you know. I'm taking some artistic license. Give me a break. But she's, she's pretty cool about it all. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.
Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good waterfowl dogs. And here's one of those buddies, Max. Not the dog, but the buddy. I've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states, U.S. and Canada. Different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees, and it just doesn't stop working. I'm a fan for life. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. So what was it that when you when you left was it like in the movies you know like you um you know left with your thumb out and got on a hitchhiked out of town and never Dude, turned back not kind quite of? but kind of and also the other thing was I was always like the smart kid in in my class which is like you know bars not all that high yeah. it's like not not crazy impressive being the smart kid in this particular school but I didn't know that I had no frame of reference so like. By the time I graduated high school or whatever, like I, I literally thought I was like redneck goodwill hunting, you know, <laughs> like literally, because you know he had a rough childhood. He's a super genius, and the end of that movie is him just hitting the road, never to return. Right? I was like, I thought, oh, yeah, like I he was, doesn't want nothing to do with it. Yeah, right? I thought yeah. I was Matt Damon in that movie, uh, and a lot of my twenties was having to reconcile with the fact that I am not, uh, you know, that brilliant the way that I thought I was, you know, but. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of like that. And my dad also, it was very much a, like, that's part of, like another an, another thing I've always regretted. I mentioned my grandpa had a car lot. He, before I was born, like before my time, he built and raced stock cars on like the dirt track circuit mm-hmm. in the South. He had, his whole basement was full of trophies and pictures of all his like stock car past and stuff. And he was like a gearhead, you know, like my dad was real into music, but I never, I noticed my grandpa never listened to music. And I was sitting with him once in this like 79 Chevy pickup he had, right? 
And we're sitting there, and I'm probably 12, and I was like, hey, Pa, why don't why don't you ever listen to any music? And he just looks at me and just revs the engine up real loud. <laughs> and he goes, that's the only music a man needs, son. <laughs> and uh, so like, but anyway, but he had the, his outlook on me was like, you're going to go to college. You know, you're like, you're the, you're going to be the first one in the family to go to college. You're going to go to college and get, you're going to, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. You're going to work in some kind of office. You're not going to be covered in grease every day. Like you're not going to, you know what I mean? Like he wanted. Yeah that kind of future for me, but I wish I'd have taken more of an initiative to like, you know, learn that kind of thing from him, but he never offered and I never asked. Like learn how to wrench on cars. All that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'll like, um, like I'll do little stuff like with the tires or brake pads or whatever. I put uh, alternators and it's always just like YouTube and a manual, you know, and you can figure it out. It's not that bad, but like he just knew, he was just one of those guys, you know, knew everything about engines and stuff. It probably would have changed, I guess, because, you know, as cars, like modern day cars with the computers and all that stuff in them, that, that probably would have confounded him a little bit. Uh, but like the old school rides, he, you know, top to bottom. I can't remember why I even brought that up. I don't know. We're talking about your yeah. family and growing up. I know where yeah. he's come from, man, because... Um, Thinking back to when you could climb in, I remember like working on, uh, working on pickups when you're in high school. You would open the hood and sit on the front wheel well. You'd be like sit inside there, right? Yeah, and everything's just laid out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's the starter, there's this, there's that. You know, it's just so simple. And yeah. now, dude, it's like intimidating, man. Wrenched on any kind of thing. When you left, you went to college, obviously. Oh, right. Yeah, well, so that's the thing. Again, act like I'm Goodwill hunting. He was going across the country. I went 40 miles up the road to Cookville, (laughs) Tennessee, (laughs) which is also a small town. But to me, it was like the major metropolitan area of Cookville, Tennessee. You know what I mean? Like, Cookville was the town where, if you're from Salina, that's where you go to get, like, school clothes. If you're going to go to the movies or if it's somebody's birthday, so you go to Red Lobster for a fancy dinner, you know? Like, that's what Cookville was. And they also have a cow college there. Tennessee Tech University, which is where I ended up going. And I, and I mean, I loved it. I had a great time. But yeah, I didn't go all that far away. But What'd, what'd um, you learn about there? I already knew that I wanted to do comedy. Oh, you did? Yeah. Because, well, like I said, so I grew up in my dad's video store. So like, I always wanted to do something in show business, make huh. movies or whatever. And then when I was 12, and I've told this story a lot, but it's how I remember it. When I was 12, uh, me and my dad together watched... Chris Rock, Bigger and Blacker when it aired on HBO, like we watched it live. And that's the Chris Rock special where he does this whole bit about dads, how nobody appreciates dads. It's always mama this, mama that, daddy don't get no credit. All daddy gets is the big piece of chicken, mm-hmm. right? That bit. And my dad's just like losing his mind watching this. I mean, he's just <laughs> dying. And like, that was the first time that I was like, that in particular seems like it would be cool, right? But again, I'm a kid, I'm in the middle of nowhere, whatever. I started keeping notes like for possible like stand-up bits and stuff like that. And I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get a degree because I would have been the first in my family to do it. I wanted to do that either way. But I then knew I was going to start comedy wherever I ended up after college. So I, because I knew that, in college, I got an MBA, not because I have any interest in business, but just because I thought it would give me the best shot at getting some kind of job where I could like 
pay the bills and not have to do any of that starving artist bullshit. Like I had no interest in that type of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? I'd been poor and waited tables enough, like get a good job while I was moonlighting as a comic. And so that's why I got it. And then that's exactly what happened. I got a job working for the U S department of energy in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, moved there, started stand up in Knoxville. Doing what for the department of energy? I was a contracting officer. So like a uh, contract specialist eventually, and then a contracting officer. So like the federal government doesn't, uh, they don't really do much of anything themselves. Anything they do, they contract out to like private I know, I know businesses, take private industries. Statement, but go <laughs> <Yeah>. ahead. <laughs> well, no, I mean they just you know they they, they have contractors for everything. Yeah. You know, like a federal employee, it's rare that they'll you know do any of the like you know brunt of the work or whatever. There's a contractor or a subcontractor or whatever. No, no, well, you. so I I had like a warrant they call it, and I was like I awarded and administered those contracts on behalf of the government right so like i worked with the contractors and you know made sure they were following the rules made sure they were doing what they're supposed to do you know and then they got paid and all that type of stuff competition was a big part of it doing a request for proposals and companies submit proposals and you have to put a board together and pick the company you're gonna some of these Contracts are, you know, huge. Yeah. Did I you make a lot of money on kickbacks? I, yeah, no, I never got to that point. It would have been pretty <laughs> sweet, though. Because, yeah, you know that was going on. We'd have ethics classes and stuff where they'd tell us, you no know, kickbacks. stories of people who have been caught, you know, like, don't do that. But I'm sure people were still doing it. But, I mean, there was other little stuff like somebody's son-in-law's company would get a maintenance contract. You know what I mean? There was still some, like, good old boy type stuff that would go on there. But, oh, like... Yeah. But the big dollar contracts, they were like heavily scrutinized and had to be, you know, competed and all that stuff. So, that's it, but it was just a, I had a top secret security clearance and all that. But oh, like, that's cool. yeah, one of my contracts was a, the uranium processing facility. So like the nuclear weapon, where they enrich the uranium, you know, that goes in our nuclear weapons. Uh, and so I, w- I would go to all these meetings that were like, top secret and heavily like heavy security phones outside all this stuff like very very high level of security but like dudes from iran trying to listen through the walls well, and, and so, stuff but yeah. like i could like you could have waterboarded me all damn day and i wouldn't have been able to tell you any of it because it because <laughs> like it just be like no i really like i really don't know yeah because it, it's all like <laughs> it's all sciencey and shit you know it's like it go it goes over your head so if you're like me anyway so I was in those meetings and stuff, but I, you know, I didn't understand them. They were highly technical in nature. And sometimes people would think that it's a, you know, like it sounds like a kind of cool job, but it was just a, an office job, really. You know, it's kind of office spacey in a lot of ways. When you knew that you wanted to do comedy when you were young, did you, how did you perceive what it was you were growing up around? I, oh, like, do, you, do you understand what I'm getting at? I mean, maybe. Do you mean like... Meaning that that until you... I didn't fully understand where I grew up until I went somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. Like, I didn't know about... Um, I, until I was in graduate school, I didn't know... I had never met Ivy League kids. Yeah, right. I didn't know about any coffee besides gas station coffee. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, all that shit. And yeah. then you go like, oh... Oh, I know. Yeah, that was weird. I could. Right? I got a few <laughs> examples growing of that. Up. I've had. I've had stand up bits based on that premise too, because I went through a very similar thing. I knew. I mentioned Dale Hollow Lake in the summertime. 
tourists from like Big Ten country, like Ohio and Michigan, up you know your neck of the woods. They that's what that's to, called, Big Ten. Country. I just called it that. It's just like a reference point. I don't know. So yeah, right. Places that have really good sports yeah, teams right. at their colleges. But uh, people from up there, like the Midwest, the North, Northern Midwest, they would like to us. They were just the North, like you know, Yankees. Yankees would come down. Mm-hmm. Devil's country. Got, yeah, Devil's country. Right. But of course, you know, that's the thing. Devil's country is just you got the South, and then there's Devil's country because California is like the devilest of Devil's country, <laughs> and it's not in the North. But they're like honorary Yankees in California. But anyway, uh, anyway, they would come down there and like go out on a houseboat and stuff. They'd come to the lake in the summertime. And, uh, oh, it's like a, a huge reservoir. Oh yeah, it's a it's a big lake. It's yeah. also I was always told that it was one of the cleanest lakes in the country and all this stuff. And it's uh, I mean I think Delhalla Lake is awesome, mm-hmm. like unimpeachable uh, to me. Yeah, you showing me a picture. That's a whopper. Yeah, and uh, so people come out there, go on houseboats, stuff like that. Um, so because of that, we were at I think it's like in any place where there are tourists. The locals were very aware. Like, we all thought that the tourists, you know, thought we were all idiots, right? Like, oh. the local yokels. You know what I mean? Like, they, like we were the, like, we thought they thought they were better than everybody else or whatever else. And what's funny is, in retrospect, these are, like, very middle-class Midwestern people. <laughs> these are, like, you know, this guy's, like, probably an electrician or something. Yeah, they, they an electrician have... from Iowa. And we're like, look at this fancy-pants son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't afford to drive to Florida. Yeah, right. So they they went to Dale halfway. Hollow Lake. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't know yeah, all you that. You guys feel like you're like you're yeah. like townies at Martha's Vineyard or something. So, right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But like, uh, there's just a, and also it's just a universal thing in the South. I don't whether you're in a lake town or not. Like you're just aware that everybody else thinks you're dumb. Like that's a thing you think. Like the accent makes you dumb and all this stuff. And again, I was a smart kid in my class. I thought I was like smart on a global scale. Yep. So like I took that very personally. Like they used to really piss me off, right? I was like, you know, no, that, you know, I'm I'm as smart as any of these sons of bitches, you know, it doesn't matter how I talk, you know. <laughs> how do you become aware of it though? Like at the age of 12, like what has taught you that the rest of the world thinks that you're you're not as smart as they are? Like are your parents just telling you this? Yeah, people just talk about it. And again, again, especially that's why I brought up the tourists is because that just that was just the general like consensus or the way it was. You know what I mean? Is that like the tourists are uppity assholes, you know, Mm -hmm. who think we're all dumb. And it's like you just know that from a very early age. Right. But um, but anyway, so I was aware of that. Right. But there was a whole lot of stuff. So I knew the South was like that. I didn't know that my town was different from other places in the South, like other cities or other places that are not economically devastated or whatnot like i didn't really like you were the bottom yes and and i didn't know that and so like i get and i used to have this bit like when i was in college there again i started dating this girl who i consider to be a rich girl but literally her dad owned an auto body shop outside of nashville mm-hmm. right but like i was in the bathroom getting ready for a first date like here's your one chance fancy don't let me down <laughs> you know like i thought thought I, this is my ticket you know and uh but like when I went to her house for for Christmas or whatever, you know, I'm in the kitchen like, why is all y'all's plates the same? You know, like, <laughs> like, that's weird. You know, they had glass Tupperware. I was like, as I live and breathe, you know, like uh, blew my mind. I was like, oh, and I had a few moments like that. I was like, oh my god, I'm white trash. You know, like I don't. <laughs> but because I didn't know that until later. I remember being with a bunch of college friends. They're all kind of you know, middle class, but again, rich to me. 
we're riding around going to somebody's house to pick them up and they're from Cookville and it's like a nice neighborhood with a lot of like, you know, like big suburban homes, uh-huh. nothing crazy, not like full on McMansions, but like, you know, nice houses in like a subdivision, right? Well-kept yards. Yeah, right. And we're going through there and I'm telling my friends, I'm like, dude, this is insane. I was like, everyone, I was like, there's not a house this nice in all of Clay County and this neighborhood's full of them or whatever. And one of the dudes was like, are you serious about that? And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, there might be one or two up on the lake, but that's it. And he was like, dude, that's poverty. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh shit, he's right. That is poverty. You know? So yeah, I had a lot of those, a lot of those realizations. We had had like, it's it's so funny. It's, It's without the whole Southern North thing. There was like a strikingly similar thing that happened where I grew up where right. there's some people that, that <clears throat> around our lake, we had like the sh- Chicago people. Yeah. There's a couple places where they bought cottages around mm-hmm. the lake I grew up on and they'd come from four hours away from Chicago and they were into the same stuff, right? They're into whatever, playing in the water. They're inefficient, yeah. but their shit was so much nicer. Right. But again, they were working class people. But they had like Glastron boats. They had like dedicated ski boats with stereo systems. Yeah. So when they would stop to like circle around and pick up a skier, mm-hmm. you'd hear that they were playing music, which would just blow your mind Absolutely. how you play music out of a boat. Right. Yeah. And so they did the same stuff. They just did it with nice. And if they went fishing, they had like a fishing boat, you yeah. know? So they were into the same junk, but it was just their stuff was nice. And you became aware of that was the sort of first inkling that there's another way to go about shit. Yeah. You could be like the Chicago people down the beach who right. everyone disliked. Yeah. Even though they like to do exactly the same stuff. Right. It's just they did it with nice stuff. And that annoyed yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know what you complain about? You wouldn't complain about it being nice. You complain about being loud. Right. Loud music. Yeah. Loud boats. But Meaning like, that's yeah. a nice boat. <laughs> yeah, my, my buddy's dad, one friend whose dad was like the highway commissioner, so that's like a good job. Well, that's nothing like in my town, like as far as like the kids at school go, like you, your family was considered to have money. Like if your family had money in Salina, that basically meant like your parents were still married and both had a job, right? Yeah. And that, that like classified you household. as being, yeah. as having money by Salina standards, right? So my one buddy is, that was the highway commissioner. It was like a legitimately good job. And so he had a big, a bass boat, right? But that bass boat was our like, you know, tubing boat, skiing boat, whatever else. Like it's just, it was just the boat. You used the boat for all the boat stuff, right? We didn't have an assortment of boats mm-hmm. or specialized boats. Like we were just lucky to have just that one boat, you know? When you started doing the, what was the first comedy you did? Like, what was the first sort of audience? Like, material. Uh, so, um, like I said, I'm. I don't know, how do you say when you start comedy? I don't know. When you start writing, I guess you like mm-hmm. when I when like when you start being a writer. I guess in my mind, you start getting paid for your work. Okay, I didn't start. I mean, you get paid gas money or whatever at bar shows and stuff early on. The first time that ever happened, I was probably. No, I started MC. I mean, about 18 months in to doing it, I'd get paid a little bit. I'd MC at Side Splitters in Knoxville, the comedy club there, $25 a show, if that counts. I didn't go full time until the videos we mentioned earlier went viral in 2016. So I've been like full time for seven years. I started in 2010 at and Side Splitters. And were your first jokes about poor Southern culture? Yeah. Uh, all of them. Yeah, so you never thought that you had to go make up jokes about stuff that other comedians were talking about? 
no, and I, and it's kind of worked out because I, I still like to this day. Like for people that don't know, they're listening or whatever. Like hear the liberal redneck thing. The stand up that I do has always been, and is still like, you know, culture. It's not like straight up political. Like I might get into some political stuff, but I also talk a lot about just like how I grew up or my hometown or, you know, the South in general, how other people think of the South. I got tons of jokes that make fun of California ever since I moved there. You know, like it's not just politics. But um, one thing I found is like people in other places, because I didn't realize either, like you were saying, you're like, you know, you removed the North-South from it and similar stuff was happening in my hometown. Like I didn't realize that until later, but like that holds true for a lot of people in a lot of places, meaning like, a lot of people can relate to that type of thing. Like the other day I went to my eye, a new eye doctor in Burbank, California. He's like a mid thirties Armenian dude named Dr. Hosepian. And he, as soon as I came in, he was like, I know this is weird, but I'm a huge fan. He was like, I grew up, <laughs> he was like, I grew up in a poor immigrant household. And he was like, and so much of what you say, just oh, like, really? straight, yeah, right. And another time this dude came up to me after a show and he was like, Hey, so I, I grew up my whole life in Cuba and I never knew it until listening to your set just now, but apparently I was a redneck, I guess, who was like, because all that stuff you were saying, like, totally applied to me, too. So, like, you know, um, it's a more universal experience than a lot of people realize or whatever. But that's, that's like the high, that's the high mark of art, though, man. Right. Is when, yeah. you know, you you convey a particular experience and then it, you know, it resonates with people who haven't lived that right. same one. Right? Yeah. Or, or they reflect on their own stuff. Right. It makes them reflect on their own things and, and feel better about it or they laugh about it or, right. You know, but yeah, I don't remember the exact material, but yes, it was talking about just my very first set was all about like, and also at the time, cause I was real nervous and everything. And also I probably had a couple drinks because I was nervous. So I get on stage and like, so all of those things means that like my accent was like way thicker, you know, I'm up there like I'm from Clay County, Tennessee, you know, like it just. You're just belting out. Yeah. Without meaning to. And so it probably played because I was talking about how redneck my hometown was. I remember I talked about moonshine, but I don't remember any of the jokes. <laughs> it was talking about like, you know, something about punching off, makes you want to punch a horse, you know, or whatever else. So like somebody. <laughs> That's when you know the party's going to turn up is when some old boy pulls the moonshine out or, you know, shit like that. Pretty, like, honestly, pretty, um, like, blue-collar comedy tour-y type of, yeah, type yeah, of stuff, yeah. honestly. And then as I kept going, I started, and then I started talking about more, like, whatever you want to call it, social commentary. You know, I'd have bits about, like, I'd make fun of the Bible or I'd make fun of the Confederacy or I'd get into racism or homophobia or that type of shit, but always mixed with, uh, you know the other stuff, the lifestyle stuff too. And now I'll talk about, you know, I talk about my wife a lot, you know what I mean? So like try to cover a lot of the bases. Last night I was writing some kids material. <laughs> well, you know, I just, I, like, I don't want people to, like, I don't want to just do the one thing. You know what I mean? I'm okay with people knowing me primarily from one thing, but like, I want to do more than just the political stuff. Like I, me and one of the guys I work with a lot started a new podcast this year. That's just, us two hillbillies talking about fancy people shit, right? <laughs> oh, I like It's that. called putting on airs, and it's like not, <laughs> it's not political at all. I gotta you know? check it out, man. And I, 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 I mean, we have a lot of fun with it. I think it's funny. You know, I try to like find places where fancy and trashy people overlap, like, you know, 
cousin banging or, uh, <laughs> 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 you know, or uh, like getting drunk on a boat or needing a logger <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> different that's a, yeah, of, that's, uh, that's really, that's a great little couple there. Yeah. it's Cousin uh, banging and getting drunk on boats. Yeah, right. <laughs> What more do you want? You know, the boats are different. But yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you talk about doing kid humor, man. It's like, can I? Can I? I just want to spin it back. We gotta go way back a little bit because I thought you were gonna ask the question when you, you but we didn't never get there. The uncles. No, oh, about I want to ask when about you're, the uncles. When you're bad. like a kid and you're like, oh, I'm gonna do something in show business, and you even said said you were starting to write down things mm-hmm. that you thought you could make fun of. But my question is, what in your head? What was going on that where you're like, oh? I'm funny enough that I could present. Mm. Or was well, there, were you like always kind of class clowny? Like what gives uh, somebody something in their head? Where they're like, oh, I'm funny enough that I can produce jokes and I make was, a lot of people laugh. Like a lot of kids from a broken home situation or whatever, I was funny. Like I was a smart kid, but I was also, I wasn't like class clowny, but I was funny. My friends would tell me like, you know, you should be a comedian someday or whatever. Like people would say that. And again, I cannot stress enough the inflated opinion (laughs) I had of my own (laughs) mental capabilities, intellectual and creatively and everything. So like, I was like, yeah, I totally do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and and I and I'm not just saying this. I really was aware even then. I was like, I was like, cause see, I'm still gonna have my accent, right? Cause I can't help it. But I'm not gonna be dumb, and that'll be wild. <laughs> I, I, but I'm being facetious. But like, I was aware. Yeah, you even can't then, buy this. I was I was aware even then that it would be like. A thing sure. that I would have a thing without even trying to have a thing, just by virtue of who I am as a person. You know, like I thought about that even then. Um, so, huh. but don't get me wrong, I was still very nervous. Like, so by the time I get out of grad school and moved to Knoxville, I'm 23, and it was like I was very much like, all right, if you're gonna do it, do it. Like it's either now or never. You've been keeping your little notes and saying all this shit for years, <laughs> but. Either do it or don't. And so I signed up for an open mic. I stacked the deck in my favor like a lot of first-timers do. I brought a bunch of coworkers and stuff with me. That's right? good, yeah. Yeah, uh, most people, their first time, they end up doing that. You know, they bring friends with them, and so it kind of pumps up the response you get. And then I just got the bug, and I, I don't think I missed a, I don't think I missed an open mic after that for like two and a half years Did or something. Did you bomb that first night? No, because I had my friends, friends in the crowd. Like, out. it went well. I, you know— it wasn't long before I bombed, for sure, uh, but by that time it was too late. I was just fully in it, you know? Man. Dude, that's like one of the things that, like, learning Spanish, um, pretty much that. Yeah. Learning, learning Spanish, Spanish and doing a, learning Spanish and learning how to do, um, and I'll never do it. I'll never do it either. Learning Spanish and learning how to do stand-up, I think it'd be, like, really interesting, man. It, like if Spanish, something bad happened to me, like I lost my arms and legs and shit, yeah. I would probably get into that. Yeah, usually something bad has happened to I wouldn't most make, comedians. Well, no, no, that wouldn't be my line of humor, but I'd be <laughs> right, like, yeah. I would walk away from certain other activities. Well, well not if your legs were Well, yeah, off, I would but, walk away. Yeah, but, I would move away from certain <laughs> activities, and yeah. then I'd be like, I'm going to learn Spanish and do stand-up. I, funny, Span- I can't tell you how many times I have started and then ultimately stopped learning spanish in my life <laughs> so you feel so the, you feel times. the draw i do absolutely i've i've like picked it up so many times i've had 
you know, both Duolingo and what's that Rosetta Stone or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, yeah. And like, I'll start to pick it up and everything. And then I just stop. For me, I've, I've always equated learning Spanish to like learning to play guitar for some reason. It's just like, oh, really? just something you ought to do. Or? Sim- something that seems cool that's like real easy to not keep up with. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> seems cool. You pick it up, and then, like, next thing you know, you're like, oh, damn. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah I you're, don't you're do like, it. You're it's like, hard. It's so far away from me being a yeah, rock star. exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that mind. so many times that when we go to Mexico, Steve actually thinks I have decent Spanish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 got, I used to, I got to a point where I could, like, I could read Spanish pretty, like, pretty well. You know, like, I could, uh, hmm. but I couldn't, I never was able to, like, uh, and I could speak a little bit of it, but I never could. A native Spanish speaker talking was always it was way yeah. too fast. I could never parse it, you know. But now I got next to nothing. It's my second most favorite country next to America. Mexico? Uh, or? Yeah, I go, yeah, Mexico. Yeah. I go there a couple times a year. And every time I go there, I come home feeling just humiliated that I haven't picked up much right. of anything. Like, I mean, God. well, living in living in Southern California is like that, too. You know, I mean, it's like I told myself that was another time. I know I said I moved, it as though that's, they have sole proprietorship over that language. Right, yeah. But that's my, like, my, yeah. that's Experience where I go right. to feel like a dick for having right. not learned Spanish. Yeah, I, but that was one of the times when I moved, when we first moved to L.A., I was like, this is great. I'll finally pick up Spanish, right? <laughs> Seven years later, I'm like, you know, hola, me llamo Trey. Like, I don't. I don't have it at all, you know, and it's everywhere out there. Um, Uh, I want to get back into like some of your career stuff, but I wanted to comment on, you're talking about trying to write kids stuff? Yeah, well, not like for kids. Not for kids, but about about kids. Because that's, most comics have kids, they have material about their kids, and I never have. But it's like a a path, like, I don't know. I know. It's like, it's a path you go down, dude. I'm not a comedian. It's a path you go down, and I think it's like a decision you make. Okay, please elaborate. I'm very literally last I night. Comedian, I started. So I'm, comedian this is on my says mind. I'm going to start doing jokes about my kids, and it's like a path you go down. Right, it's a path you go down. Yeah, but you also can't help it. I made a. I just made a bet with my daughter for ten bucks that she bet me that she broke her toe. Mm-hmm. And then she didn't. I said you didn't break your toe. She said yeah, I did. So she gets the X-ray. She didn't break her toe. And she, I said you owe me ten bucks. She says no, I'm not doing the bet because I didn't realize I hadn't broke my toe. <laughs> right. And I'm like, what's well, the home? That's, well, that's, like, that's the whole point of the that's bet. That whole thing. That's why, like, that, that, that was the whole conversation was about that. So they do stuff that's funny, but then if you if you deal in that, you traffic in that, you become like a dad. You become a yeah a co- dad comedian. Yeah, it definitely. And you're can like, happen. my wife, boy, the right. old ball and chain. Right. You know, well, that's the that's old part ba- of, battle axe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? that's part of. I think that's part of why I've never done it. But I think another reason. For me, is like, I'm not saying all of them, but I feel like a lot of comics that have kids, when they talk about kids, it's some version of like, you know, oh, they've sapped my life essence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they, mm-hmm. they drain your youth. They kill your dreams, right? It's like some version of that. Yeah. And oh, I've, yeah. just, I've just never, I've just never really felt that way. And so, like, I just, uh, I don't know. I didn't see the angle on making a bunch of jokes, in, you know about how much I think it rocks to have kids or yeah, whatever. Well, that, but, that's a good thing, though, because I've, right. I've, talked to, I've talked to some comedians I like about this where I've tried to explain it to them. I don't know if it resonates with them, but I would, I've said that you, you approach stand-up from a position of strength. Because, like, 
sort of the stereotypical stand-up thing is like, oh, the old battle axe. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you know, no one at work takes me seriously. Mm -hmm. Oh, my kids, whatever. You know, no one, I don't get laid. (laughs) Right. Right. But to do comedy from, yeah, comedy from a position of strength is hard, but it's good. Like comedy from a position of, 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 of comfort. Yeah. Right. Comfort, happiness. Like right. feeling good about yourself right. and then do comedy? Yeah, well, and that's part of the, because I, I, I do think it makes it somewhat novel because that's usually how it goes. The stuff I was kind of working on last night or thinking about is it's all positive about having kids. Like mm-hmm. it sort of talks about how everybody says all these negative things about it. And then I tell why, you know, why I think it's positive, which is hopefully, you know, makes it different enough. It's fresh. But yeah, but I do, I mean, I do self-deprecate, but I also like, you know, um, like another part of my appeal, I think, is literally sometimes just like big work. It's like the sounding kind of smart thing. Like mm-hmm. sometimes, like a crowd in Connecticut or something, I I feel like they're laughing. It's like, did you hear that? It seemed smart, but it sounded dumb. I love that. Like, and so that's because I've also talked. There's this uh, this media company that I've worked with before, like doing some pilots and stuff. They're like a Vice type of outfit, but it's not Vice, and they're. Uh, the guy that works here told me once that the reason he's like the reason we love you is because you're pretension proof, right? He was like you. He's like oh. he's like he's like you're never going to come across to our audience as preachy or pretentious because you're southern. Because of and the unspoken part is like because of how dumb you sound, right? <laughs> like, like it makes you immune to that. Like you could be just as you know superior acting as you know just as sanctimonious as anybody, but you're going to sound all dumb while you're doing it. Well, you know so the study they've different. done. You know that it doesn't study- work on other southerners though. That study they, they, they done where they have, <laughs> they have people read the same speech. Yeah, oh, right. They have people with different accents give the same Dude. speech, and then people rate how well they knew the subject right. matter. And you, the Southerners are like, "That eh, guy, he didn't know what he's talking about." I that <laughs> I I did not know that was an actual study. Uh, I I've got a bit about that or that exact thing about how if you say the same thing to people in different accents, it'll impact them in different ways. A so British like, person is going to be more impressive. Exactly right. In, yeah. a, in a in a southern male is gonna be less. It's gonna be, he's gonna be the the material he gives is gonna sound less legit. Can you give is us that, an example? Uh, so the example I'm using right now is like uh, even if you pick a famous quote that sounds smart on its own, <laughs> like like John Lennon's <laughs> "Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans." Right? Like you said, somebody in a French accent, you know, life is what that means when you're busy making other plans. People are like, you're so right. So we should have sex right now, right? Like, I just want to have sex all of a sudden. I don't even know why, you know? Australian accent. Oh, mate, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. People are like, hell yeah, so let's party. This guy likes to party. I can just tell. But if you say it in my accent, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. People are like, oh, no, he's not going to tell us his plans, is he? I don't want to hear this guy's plans. Probably involve truck nuts and tiki torches. Let's get out of here. But yeah, but I didn't know there were literal studies. I'd like to check those out. <laughs> I hope I'm not lying, but I'm sure we talked about it. We talked about it. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift 
especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, it's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Now, I've got two good buddies with what I would call really, really good waterfowl dogs and here's one of those buddies max not the dog but the buddy i've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states u.s and canada different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees and it just doesn't stop working i'm a fan for life get 20 percent off your first purchase using code meat eater so go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more this show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stressors, big ones, little ones. When you keep these things bottled up, it can start to affect you in a very negative way. Well, therapy is a great space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Like, figure it out. That means figure it out with someone who's impartial, who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no, there's no such thing. It's like, you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind, okay? Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash eater today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash eater. You had a bit for a while. You had a bit for, I want to talk about the inception of the liberal redneck. You yeah. had a bit for a while where you do sort of that, it'd be like that same joke you were talking about, but you're talking about like having a liberal perspective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. coming from a, a, a rural southerner. Yeah. But then you started doing it for real. Exactly. What was it that got you going on it? Well, a very. Like when did you decide, like, very, I'm just going to do this freestanding without all the without all the buildup, you know? There's actually a very specific thing. I know exactly what it was because I had that bit for a little while. I told my comic friends, I'm thinking about making a series, an internet series based on that idea. Every one of them was like, that's a really good idea. You absolutely should do that. 
But at the time, I was like, I was like, I don't know, man. I have to like save up money and buy a nice camera. I have to learn how to edit. I need lighting. It'll have to. It can't look like an amateur, you know. I thought there was like a barrier. I didn't, you know. Yeah. I thought I had to do better, like in terms of that. And then one day in like the spring of 2016, North Carolina had passed that anti-trans bathroom law they had, right? The transgender bathroom law. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Like, were they, yeah, right. I do remember. I can't remember. They passed a law prohibiting trans people from using. Like the, you had the, to go the, to the bathroom of your biological birth gender or whatever. So no. like a trans woman who is now a woman would have to go to the men's room under that law or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, they made that law. I saw this video that was going viral uh, amongst the right. So like I saw people that I went to high school with sharing it on Facebook, and it was this preacher in North Carolina who was mad as hell about this whole thing. He's like preaching fire and brimstone out in the woods for some reason, you know, yelling at his phone and not being funny at all. Not a dick joke in sight. Just like, just nothing but, but just, you know, fire and brimstone shocking all about the horrors of these animals in the bathroom with our baby girls and whatever else. And this video had like 15 million views on Facebook. Right. And when I saw that, it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, well, if that, guy if that thing is like the thing i'm trying to make fun of then like i don't need any of that fancy shit like in fact that would be a mistake like i should just do it exactly the way that he does i should just go out and yell at my phone right (laughs) and now it's like the simplest thing in the world but like i hadn't looked at it that way until i saw that guy and then i realized and after i realized i went out and i made the first one the first one was about my home state of tennessee trying to make the holy bible the official state book Uh right and it got like 70,000 views or something, which I was over the moon about. I was complete anonymity at this time. Like, I was blown away by that. So I was like, I'm definitely on to something. I'll keep going. I made the second one. The second one was about the transgender bathroom law. And it ended up getting like tens of millions of views and went like crazy viral and changed my life literally overnight. So hmm. wherever that preacher is, I hope he knows that like, this is all his fault. Mysterious ways. Am I right, buddy? You so, didn't see did that, that coming. So when when you had that and it took off, yeah. But you still would do normal. Like you didn't just totally. That didn't become your your comedy bit though. Mm-mm. Like on stage, so you, had, you, had you mean? It, yeah, you had to keep it separate. Yes, and I do keep it separate. But I'd like to say, and I've been, you know, I've been touring post going viral for seven years now, and so I feel pretty comfortable saying that, like, if people like those videos, I think they'll like my stand-up too. And I also think that maybe people that don't like those videos or don't want to hear just a bunch of political stuff would also still like a lot of my stand-up because I'm still the same guy, right? Mm. So, like, I'm still, like, scratching a lot of the same itches or, you know what I mean? I'm still, like, in the same ballpark just by virtue of just being who I am. But no, I do not, like, rant about politics on stage as a stand-up. I do, like, you know... More traditional stand-up material about whatever subjects has your. There's a difference between you can have political differences, right, with your friends Mm -hmm. you grew up with. But if you're gonna have, if you're gonna do political differences and then get tons of audience, right, I could see that causing friction. It did. Do you you have friction with people you grew up around? Yeah, I mean, I really hate to say this, but I mean, some of them, I feel like uh, it's just broken now there was like friction yeah. at first and gradually it, nothing ever happened it was never like you know what we're done nothing like that ever happened but i just at a certain point realized like 
I ain't heard from or talked to him in a really long time. And like, that's also on me, you know what I mean? Yep. But it got, not with all of them. A lot of my friends are like, they're like me. They're either apolitical or they're more, you know, they like lean left. Uh, the uh, some A lot of the other Salina boys, you know, the group of buddies I grew up with that I'm still tight with. But some of them, yeah, it got weird. But if I ran into them at Christmas or whatever, I know that it would be cool. Like we'd, you know, hug it out. Might be slightly awkward, but it would be okay. But like, we almost never used to talk politics at all, ever. And that, and one of the times after this happened, I had rented a houseboat on Del Hollow. Everybody went out there, brought their kids and whatnot. And one of the guys I'm talking about, like, he comes up to me and out of nowhere, like we're standing there drinking beer, looking at a fire on the <laughs> lakeside or whatever. And out of nowhere, he's like, he's like, Trey, you know me, man. He's like, you know, like, I, I work my job, I pay my taxes, I raise my kids. Like, I'm a, you know... I'm a upstanding member of society or whatever. And it's like, and he is, he's an all American family man, hundred percent. And I was like, yeah, I know, buddy. And he was like, I just don't understand why you think I ought not be able to have a gun. Right. And I was like, well, I don't think that buddy, you know, and mm. he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't think I've never said, I don't know why you think I think he just found out that I was like liberal and then assumed I wanted to take everybody's guns or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I was like, I was like, you helped me move my grandpa's guns to my house like what do you think like what do you think happened to it but i told him i was like i was like i i've never thought that i was like i just think that you know i think there's a lot of people in this country who are dangerous or unhinged or whatever and they shouldn't have a gun and maybe we should try to find better ways to keep guns out of those people's hands and he was like well hell i agree with that and i was like right i was like i was like so we pretty much are on the same page right you know but like you just assumed that it wasn't the case. Cause I feel like a lot of people do that. If someone self identifies as being on the other side of the fence politically from you, people tend to like automatically assign them to the far end of that spectrum. Oh, sure. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And it works in both directions. And most of the time that's not, that's not the case. Like those people do exist and I could do without either one of them. You know, the extremist on either end, I'm not, not a big fan of. Most people are not really that far separated from each other on most of like the big things, I think. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just... but the centrist the centrist redneck isn't funny. No, I know. Well, I'm not I'm not a centrist at all. No, I'm just saying like I think that if you were it's not funny. Right. Like, you know, it just has to be that. Yeah. It says it says a lot. Oh, I'm glad you get it. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah no, it's it does. Funny. Yeah. You know, I don't need to do the whole, I don't need to do the whole, well, I don't agree with you on everything, because I like to point out to people, I don't agree with anybody on everything. Right. Including my mom and my wife. That's also a so good point. Yeah. I don't agree with anybody on everything, but I think, I think you're, that shit's funny. Mm -hmm. I like your, I mean. Oh, I appreciate that. I could watch, uh, it's funny. It pains I, me yeah. that no one, uh, there might be a lot to it, it pains me that, that very few people from the right of the political spectrum can do that kind of humor. Mm -hmm. There's probably like a scientific explanation for it. There's some that can, they've done it. Like the right has very, like some comedians have very effectively made jokes about the excesses of the left. But even like you look at like yes, Bill Maher, right? He's from the left, right? But he's very good at making jokes about the excesses of the left. So they've been able to do that. There's, it's like, I don't know. There, there's just a lack of, there's not that much really funny news commentary coming from the right. It's just they don't. I mean, I agree with you. Because it's like it's, they, if you have a, right, like a perspective from the right, looking at commentary is much more likely to go 
What is Man, the world right. coming to? Man, yeah, that, oh, that's someone what, needs to pay. That's what I was. And they're say. less likely to do like, holy shit, dude, are you kidding me? And then right. joke about it. I, no, you know? I mean, yeah, that's what that was going to be my response to that. It does seem like that's more of the default state of their commentary is more aimed geared towards like vitriol and and that sort of thing. That's and a hot tip for comedian for right wing comedians is figure out how to do funny news commentary at night, and you probably get a big show. Uh. Yeah, you know, there's something like, uh, well, nah, he's not, he's not straight up right wing. I was gonna say, well, I think one of the funniest dudes on earth is, you know, Tim Dillon, and he's kind of. Uh, I don't know that guy. You don't know Tim Dillon? No, is he funny? He's so funny, and he's like, uh, he, but he's not like, he's not super right wing. He's sort of got his like own thing going on politically. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to explain. I just, uh, he's kind of, you know, he's got a huge podcast and yeah. stuff lately. So I just thought that, you know. He might be a reference point. People know he's like a he's a he's like a very Long Islandy like New Yorker got guy it, who's it. like a like a tough talking kind of conservative dude, but he's also a gay man, and so it's oh, okay. like. Uh, but he's just, I'm just saying, he's not a lefty, and he's super funny. So like, and uh, Nick DiPaolo, I haven't you know he's been a comic for forever. I always thought he was super funny. I know he's very conservative. Like there's, you know, there's some Dennis Miller turned conservative. I was always a huge fan of his. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so, you know, there's some, when I'm watching your stuff though, man, I'm always like, God, that, uh, I'm like, uh, I always have this thing in my head where I'm like, that's a good point. And, um, I'll think like, if it's, if, if you're talking about something that I'm not totally on board with your perspective on it, I'm listening. I'm like, damn it. That's a good point. <laughs> and someone would have to really think of a good way to get around that one. <laughs> Like, well, I got nothing. <laughs> you really, I really appreciate all the stuff you're saying because that's like I try to, you know, I mean that's what I'm going for a lot of times. Like even if you disagree with me, you can like at least have to acknowledge part of where I'm coming from. Oh no, or whatever. It's, yeah, it's, it's like it's like really, um, it's really funny, fun, compelling arguments, and then you kind of you know it too. It's like I, I guess for me, like you know, for me. Being uh, a Yankee, I guess maybe in some way I'm as guilty of the shit that you're talking about. The like stereotypes and stuff you mean? I don't know. It's funny. Co- like, you know it. It's it's <laughs> somehow in my head. It's um maybe I'll like I'll never get over the surprise of oh it's right. like the joke in the first place. Yeah, right. Yes, it's the joke in the first place. If you're gonna hear someone, yeah. you know, as <laughs> like you're the you're with with your sort of background, vocabulary, way of expression, accent, on a rant with a camo hat. I mm. feel like let me let me guess how this guy feels about the bathroom. For sure. Let I me mean, guess yeah. how this well, guy dude. feels about the bathroom issue. Well you know, I mean that's like I mean that right there is the whole it's reason Adam and that Eve, I'm not Adam and Steve. Right. You know, I mean I just like I could just I could hear it before you start and then you like it winds up being like not at all what you well, thought that, you're gonna hear. I mean that is kind of like my whole thing right there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that what, what how you just laid that out, I feel like that's it's kind of putting it in a nutshell. The videos, at least, because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's none of it would like have worked the way that it does if people weren't thinking that or thinking the same thing. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I'm very aware of it, and I and I get it. It's just like that's the other thing too. When it comes to the South and stereotypes, I'm always like, I'm not trying to say that they don't exist. Like stereotypes exist for reasons. Like a lot of those people are real. You know, a lot of that stuff is real. It's just that. We don't have a monopoly on it. Like you said earlier, I don't remember if we were recording yet or not. Walmart got brought up, and oh, and and you and you were like, well, we got those people up here too, and like mm-hmm. right, like that. Well, hold on, let me let me do it right because Yanni's not guilty of doing that. I did that. 
Right. So what Clay, our, our colleague Clay, who we were talking about earlier, has a um, he has a, a, a very good podcast called Bear Grease Podcast. And in it, he's exploring the, um, he's from Arkansas. Uh-huh. And somewhere he found that like for some long span of years, Arkansas was the most maligned <laughs> state in the union. That, Even over Mississippi? Well, I think it got beat by like West not. Virginia or something. Yeah, okay. West Virginia. That's but for a long there. time, Arkansas was the most maligned thing. And he's talking about the um, <laughs> sort of the persecution complex of yes. of hill people, uh-huh. like country people mm-hmm. in Arkansas. Yep. And when he was laying this out to me, he was getting into how there's a, when when you get into the complexity of it, though, he goes, you know, not many people would guess that this world-class art gallery i can't remember the name of it you know crystal bridges i think yeah no yeah, you wouldn't like know that. Yeah. that crystal bridges this world-class art gallery is in arkansas right and he goes and you might not know the walmart right and i was laughing with him. Like, yeah. i was laughing i'm being like i feel that that is on the other side of the argument right <laughs> that's not coupled with crystal bridges no just totally walmart, joking. like yeah. exports arkansas yeah, totally. Yeah, like to, as a total. So when you came here talking about our Walmart conversation, we were laughing about me and Clay's sort of public debate about yeah what what in, in the popular imagination when people think of Walmart and sort of how it's treated in the comedy world. Right. right. If you're gonna, if a comedian is gonna do a Walmart joke, yeah, it's not gonna be about sophisticated business practices. Right. It's not going to be about revolutionizing no. retail. Yeah, supply chain <laughs> innovation. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's like you're like... Bleeding me... edge logistics. <laughs> you know, my new bleeding edge logistics bit about Walmart. That would be a, a wild angle to take. But they... Uh, yeah, well, it's not just like comics doing bits. Either. I mean, there's like, you know, people of Walmart. Like, it's like, yeah. uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. social no, media. I don't know about that. There's a subreddit. I think there's an Instagram. It's like they just post pictures of... People of Walmart in the wild, in their natural habitat, you know mm. the mm-hmm. the chips aisle or whatever, like, and you know, so I mean, it's just like it's a thing. You can act like it's no. not, a th- but anyway, you said that we were talking about that. I said something about it, and Giannis was like, "Well, to be fair, like we got those up here too." And that's all I'm saying is like, especially since I started traveling as a comedian, everything going all over the place, like. If you drive from Spokane, Washington to Seattle, Washington, which I have done, like the topography and everything is different. But like culturally speaking, you start seeing a lot of very familiar stuff if you're from the rural south. You know what I mean? The same thing between San Francisco. The the dichotomy. Yeah, right. Like, you know, the whole like there's they may not self-identify as rednecks, but there's, you know, redneck adjacent people in pretty much every state in this country. Oh, no, they do. I mean, mean, Eastern Washington, full on. They're rednecks proud of it. No doubt. Right. Yeah, I know some of them are like, some of them are, yeah, proud of it. And I, I think like the way country music, Nashville country, like radio country music has gone in recent years is added to like the sort of like, you know, having that as an identity strongly wherever yeah. you're from. Like if you're from Maine or wherever, mm-hmm. you know, being like redneck and proud, you know, because it's become more of a like just like a cultural identification or, yeah. or something the country in recent lifestyle. years. Yeah, right. Exactly. But yeah, I, um, that's the only genre of music that I'll, that like, I, I don't, I don't have like favorite genres. I have like artists that I like in mm-hmm. whatever genre, but like radio country is the only one I take like personally, you know what I mean? Like I, uh, I don't know. I can't stand it. Like I, like, well, like the stuff that 
is on the radio, not like... Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, you know, like not what they call Americana, right? Which Americana is like Sturgill Simpson, Jason Esbell, Tyler Childers, whatever. And I've always thought, like, as far as I could tell, Americana is just country music that's good, right? Mm. So they can't call it... They can't call it country. They have to call it something else. But, uh, but yeah, like, the last time I went downtown in Nashville, because I grew up going to Nashville all the time, and I still go every year and do shows and stuff. But the last time I went downtown, the real touristy part, Broadway, 2nd Avenue, honky-tonking, right? I was in town with this camera crew. They're all California people, and they wanted they wanted to go honky-tonk. Like, they specifically wanted to go downtown. And I was like, I don't want, you know, but I was like the, the local guys. I was like, okay, I'll go with you. And we get down there, and they're like, uh, I just get in there, and I have a couple drinks. I'm looking around, and it's like, I, to me, I just see all these people that are like, like, cosplaying as my cousin Kenny Ray or something mm. like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they go down to go to Redneck Fantasy Camp or something, you know? And, like, it just, uh, I don't know. I'll just, I'll get my red up, as it were. I'll get annoyed. The last time I got kicked out, I got kicked out of a bar down there because they started playing Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, and everybody's singing along while this dude in a cut-off camo shirt, like, wait, it stands on the bar and waves the American flag back and forth across everybody else and all this stuff. And I started screaming. This is no longer true. I've since found out. But this at one point was true. I started screaming at the top of my lungs, Toby Keith is a registered Democrat. Toby Keith oh, is not a true. registered Democrat. And they kicked me out for it. But uh, And you were lying anyway. No, he was. He's not. <laughs> you know, you are, you're right. I was lying because I said he is a registered Democrat, and that's not. He's not anymore. But around the that's, time that's, of, emblem, that's emblematic of the South. That is. You're right. It's true. He's yeah, like a, he's like a yeah. um, what do you call it? Um, uh, uh, blue dog. Uh, no, when something's that like a small thing is emblematic of something larger. A microcosm. microcosm? Yeah, microcosm of the American South. Nailed it. Yeah, you're right. Man, I want to come see you do a show sometime. I'd love it. Yeah. This, He's in the middle Mon- of touring. Montana's, I am. Yeah, you go to tradecrowder.com, check it out. Also got a special on Amazon right now. You can find so there as well. Funny. Which we uh, watched. Got, it was funny. Do you got oh, any shows you. coming up in Montana? I was actually about to say, and I need to get on to my agent about this. Montana is one of only like, four or five states left in America that I have not done stand-up in. Have you done Alaska? That's one of the other ones. Alaska, Montana, Wyoming. North Dakota. I've been to far. I got maced in Fargo on accident. <laughs> like, on, on accident. <laughs> I, on accident. I sort like we, somebody else you got, got caught in the crossfire? Yes, yes. The elevator doors open. We're holding pizza. We're going back to our hotel room to record a podcast. Elevator doors open. Just, pandemonium pepper spray ever some dude runs by us bleeding from the nose and a wife beater like you know trying to get the hell out of there we're like we start coughing throwing up and stuff or you know almost throwing up it was wild and then the hotel what was really weird is they it's almost like they wouldn't even acknowledge that it had happened like like after we try to talk to him we're like like we're not like we're not trying to complain we're not going to file charges or sue anybody or whatever it was just like just what was that about you know and they're like, uh, we, uh, you know, no, I really shouldn't speak on that kind of thing. I don't know what to tell you or whatever. Like they just wouldn't, they just wouldn't even acknowledge that this incident had occurred. So I still don't know the details of it. But yeah, I got, I got inadvertently maced in Fargo. The show was fun though. South Dakota is one of them though. So, yeah. But I'd love to come back to Montana and do a show up here. Yeah. I, I just even when I got here, just driving around, I was like, I need to send my agent an email about making that happen yeah tell us i just realized there's all kinds of people here right yeah well, we do some shows yeah. here. more it, and more it right would be good. but yeah i don't know 
I don't know, man. I feel like like music. You're you're surprised by, um, you're surprised by the musicians that come through here. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. you know, relative to the relatively low population, you're surprised by the musicians, but you're not often surprised by. Well, me and Corinne saw Chappelle. Yeah, Chappelle. That but but there's not like it's show. not like a big stop. It's not like a big stop for like it's not a big comedy stop. Right. Maybe that's changing. Maybe I'm wrong. There, I still feel it's a big comedy stuff. Yeah, I think there's like a new club that someone from California moved here to open. I don't remember what it's called. I've never been there, but it's last best comedy. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Then there's a little problem where I don't go out. I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. I mean, yeah. other than like I'm in my town, own I'm shows, not out. I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. Uh, that's one of the thing. One of the upsides that I had in mind for having kids. Like I told you earlier, I was trying to think of like the positives of having kids or whatever is that kids are like a cheat code for getting out of shit mm-hmm. or like canceling plans. Sure, like no man. one's ever going to question it. It's a huge it. social buffer. Out, you can get out of whatever you want to get out of. And as you get older, like getting out of stuff is like way better than going to stuff. Oh, and when you got to go to something, <laughs> was, when you yeah. got to go to something you don't want to go to, you just right. bring one of your kids. Exactly. That way you can kind exactly. of focus on them, talk to them, pay attention to them, and then leverage them as why you got to hey, go. Why you got to go. Why you got to get out of there. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's a great thing. It drives a real wedge in my marriage that I don't like to do stuff. Yeah. That I don't like to go out in public. Right. I, yeah. I mean, my wife's the same way. But I tell her, I mean, you probably travel even more than I do, I guess. Or Yeah, but not public. Like, not, right. not, not like in a super public way. We, we kind of hole up. Yeah. Right. We totally hole up. Can't but is that or, but is that why because you travel so much when you're back here you just don't want to do nothing or also you just can't go out? Uh, and, no, uh, I just older I get. Man. Yeah, right. You just know, don't want to do it. I just don't. I don't want to. I just don't like engaging that much. You know, it's, it's a problem I got to work through. <laughs> totally no, or not. We could also yeah. just not, <laughs> which is probably what <laughs> I'm gonna do. Just do you. So you, you just need to take. get yourself one of them red hats. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, I'd be talking to yeah, all kinds of people. Everybody here, would be, yeah. People would be like, hey, buddy. Hell yeah, brother. I'd be like, man, I never knew it could be so fun to go out. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. It's a hell of a lot more Just fun now. Switch the hats. Can you still have enough time? Yeah, I need to get like a yeah, I need to get like a Biden hat and go out and then up. No one will talk to me. Do we still have enough time that uh, Trey can tell me why all Southerners are just born good storytellers? Oh yeah, this is good to explore. Oh, because I mean, it's your prejudice. Yeah. Is I, it his prejudice, or are you better at it? Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to start any kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> regional disputes or anything by we claiming gotta... supremacy of st- storytelling supremacy, but it's definitely like a thing. Uh, and like, I got this one buddy. He's just a good old boy. His actual like, uh, his his nickname is Porno. Actually, uh, <laughs> nicknames are bigger. There's like, you know, Porno Duck Sunshine, right? But anyway, Porno's like. Uh, He's like a machinist, you know, works in a factory, good dude, everything, pretty damn country for my hometown and all this. And he's just like, but he's not any kind of performer is what I'm saying. And, but he's just like, just a natural masterclass storyteller. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he'll just, anytime he's done anything, like if you ask him about it, you know, you're in for a good time. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the first, he came to visit me in Knoxville from our hometown. This man at this point in time, this, I'm talking about, he was probably 32. Two thirty one, thirty two. First time he'd ever driven on the interstate, right? And so, like, I knew that was going to be funny when he got there, right? You know yeah. what I mean? He comes through just like all out of whack, just like sweating and like, goddamn son, <laughs> oh, these animals out here, you know, whatever. And then it's like, tell me all about it, porno, you know. And then he does, and it's always tremendous. 
as for why that is, I wish I had an answer for you. I don't know. You know, some things are just like ingrained culturally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and also we're big, and I mean this in a, I mean this in a good way. We're like, we're big bullshitters. Yeah. Do you know? Like yeah, just yeah. naturally. Like I'm same. agreeing because I understand that you're saying that in a positive light. Yeah, right. Not, not that we, I think we you guys like to all embellish lie. things yeah. for either you know comedic or dramatic effect or whatever. Right. It's just like that's also a big thing culturally. It's like everybody's like a little bit full of shit, but in a fun way, you know. And I think that you know that you helps feel, in telling a story if you're the type of person to do that kind of thing. When I I married a gal from the South, from North Carolina, mm-hmm. and when I got introduced to the South, I'd feel like I would go and visit. Just be like, this is great. I'm just going to listen to people talk and laugh my ass off. <laughs> yeah. Not because yes. the accent, because the stories are good and I'm laughing and it's great. So, yeah. and I was entertained by it. So, when, when you went to Michigan for the first time, were you like, fuck, these people are boring? Oh, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Did you think they were great storytellers? Uh, Probably not. No, but I didn't think <laughs> I didn't think they were boring uh, or anything. I mean, my first first time I ever went to Michigan was at that old day job. I spent a week in Michigan at a training thing with other people. They worked for the Department of Defense, so it was like a pretty like buttoned up affair. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But uh, I remember one time. I don't remember the specifics of it. We were broken up into a group. We we're having to decide on something. Couldn't agree. One girl said one thing. Another girl said the other. And I said, quoting, oh, brother, where art thou? I said, well, I'm with you fellers, right? <laughs> like, just playing around. And I could tell that they both just thought I was just saying that. Do you know what I mean? Like, they had no idea it was a, I was quoting a movie or doing a bit or whatever. They were just like, okay, that doesn't help, but all right. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, no, I don't know. I like... Uh, I've grown to appreciate the Midwest because I think that like, um, well, because also like, well, I don't know, where, I don't know where you're from originally, but you're talking about getting introduced to the South. Like, I feel like you guys in particular, like, your whole thing, like, I can. This is going to sound so dumb, but I can remember. Go on. I can remember being <laughs> surprised, also to find out that like hunting and fishing and all that type of stuff was so big in other parts of the country too. Like as a kid, mm. I thought that was all. South shit. Rural South stuff. Yeah, right. Like, because it was such a huge thing there, and I knew it wasn't a thing everywhere, and I thought that was, like, like a Southern thing. But obviously it's not. And so I'm saying, like, there's just, uh, I just feel like there's a whole lot of overlap, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, cultural overlap in terms of interest and whatnot. Like, you're going to sound different, but still, you know, it shouldn't be too alien to you, I wouldn't think. A lot of, you can definitely find a lot of common ground, Mm -hmm. I would think. You know, sportsmen. For sure, man. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, the the but like, our people in Michigan good at telling stories. I don't, I don't know so people in Michigan. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Chicago. Well, here, let me, let me sure. here, Here's the way of putting it. Here's what I don't know. I'm trying to wrap her up. I got to tell you one last story. Me and Ronnie Bain. Okay. So me and another very Yankee person, we were down in South <laughs> Carolina one time. We're with some guys and we're working up a custom load for a rifle. So you go out, shoot a couple rounds, okay? And you go back into the reloading bench and mess around. And the amount, like, he was losing his mind because the going in, getting the iced tea, and talking, and everybody sits down. yeah. Right. And he's like, holy shit, man. 
<laughs> this should take 20 do minutes. The, do the thing. Like, yeah, what right. in the world? Yeah. And he, like, uh, he went on a rant yeah. afterward about, he yeah. went on a rant <laughs> afterward about what in the yeah. world? You know, I think he attributed it to there's no sense of needing to, um, he attributed it to there's no sense of needing to get, like, the wood cut and the crop in. Right. Because the cold's coming. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, winter is not coming. Which is, what else? It's, it's like, like, you know, you just cut, they'll just cut wood later. No, it's that, like, like you're life, not going to be able to go anywhere because the snow. Life definitely does move at like a slower pace, like legitimately. Like, I feel like a lot of rednecks, a lot of Southern people will, you know, take half an hour, 45 minutes to say goodbye to like leave a place. You know what I mean? It's like, well, better get out of here, you know. And then they stand up and they're like, you topped a page lately, you know, and it's like, they sit back down. just start a whole new thing and then, you know, and then end up in the driveway, standing by the truck, having a whole separate conversation for 10, 15 more minutes, get in the truck, roll the window down, keep talking, you know, and finally pull out and yell on their way out the, you yeah, know, My, the my grandma's from Birmingham, Alabama. Whenever yeah. we would try to leave her house, it'd be a three hour affair. She, she would offer us four different dishes of or something and, you know, take What are you going to dry up and blow away? Yeah. But also, there's, there's Midwest com- comics that do bis- bits about the Midwest goodbye, and it's very similar. Well, state right there, you yeah. go. Yeah, like start by putting your coat on, then stand at the door mm. and have another beer, and then you have to stay longer because you got to let that beer wear off, and yeah, so on, <laughs> so on, and so forth. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like I do think there's like a lot of cultural overlap, really, between mm-hmm. the because also it's like that's all as far as like the coast, coastal elites, and all that stuff. You know, the Midwest also is. That's flyover country. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's, it's all the middle part of America that, you know, the coast looks down their noses at or whatever. And there's just, I don't know, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of common ground there or should be. But I think it's probably the Southerners who would hold it up because, you know, the whole Yankee thing. No. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> all right, man. Tell people how to find you. Pretty much just my name, which is spelled wrong because I'm white trash. It's a T-R-A-E Crowder. How are they supposed to spell it? T-R-E-Y generally. Oh, T R A E T R A E Crowder dot com or just that's how people can find your shows. That's how you can find my shows and the special. But any social media you use, it's also I'm also just Trey Crowder on there, except for Instagram because some bitch scoped me. So I'm official Trey Crowder on Instagram, but the rest of them are uh, just Trey Crowder. So pretty much that's called getting scoped. Scoped, yeah. I said scooped. Scooped. Oh yeah, no, no, no I did. I was asking. So oh, you were scoop, asking. Scooped you. You know, like you know, like, like when you give someone's contact scooped. information online, you dexed them. Doxed. Yeah. Doxed. Yeah. Not yeah. Better. Doxed. I thought. I thought scoped was getting. Was I mean, I kind of feel like that maybe works better. Really, I'm gonna start having. We to be that like that's get, what it is. If you get scooped, like as a journal, somebody beat you to the story sure, or whatever, man, you yeah. get scooped, and that's I think why I said that, but I didn't even really think about it, but. Scoped. I like scoped better. Oh, so I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. acting like that's what that is. I was is. called unawares. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't see it coming. <laughs> yeah. Ha- like it even happened to to Trump. He had to do the real Donald Trump because someone else picked up his yeah thing. All right, man. So people find you there. If you're if you're a, if you're a big left and you like to laugh, mm-hmm. well, check them out. If you're a super right wing guy and you want to be all pissed off and laugh, <laughs> yeah. check them out. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. <laughs> You're welcome either way. A lot of right-wing people come to my shows because they get drugged there by their spouse or whatever. And usually, usually at the end of the show, they're like, I didn't agree with the damn word you said, but you were funny, though. I like this. So I'll give you that. I think you'll dig it. You redneck. <laughs> you dumbass redneck. Anyway, thank you guys for having me. This was great. Appreciate it, man. Good luck. Yeah, thanks for coming. Oh.
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. 